podcast time. <laughs> oh yeah, don't look at me. Don't look at me. This is the Don't Look at Me podcast. I am your host, Chris T. Wilson. Hello, and welcome to episode 12. Today's guest is Lissy. Thank you, Jim Bailey, for putting it together. If you don't know who Lissy is yet, you definitely want to check out Lissy.com. And then you're going to want to probably hang out on YouTube for like a couple hours just listening to her sing. And then you're going to want to download her albums from Lissy.com or from wherever you download albums, say Amazon. Check my Amazon link because it's going to be for Lissy albums this week. And if you want to see Lissy perform live with a, uh, what, what, what is it, like a showcase uh, at the Deer Lodge here in Ohio, April 6th, coming up, if uh, you're listening to this when it goes live, uh, they're calling it the Beachwood Rocker Society. It's April 6th at the Deer Lodge. Let's check that out, huh? Sounds fun. I think I'm going to go. And I don't go out very often, but I think I'm going to be at that. Okay, uh, so thanks, Jim Bailey, for uh, putting me in touch with Lissy. Um, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If I had more time to edit, I probably would have listened to it and edited some stuff out, maybe some more of the finger fumbles and uh, adjustment noises uh, from doing this with the uh, Tascam DR40 um, portable digital recorder that I acquired recently for the sake of doing podcasts mobile versus having people over to the studio, which, you know, I want to have a little of both. Sometimes people like it probably if they don't have to like drive over to see me in my house, my barn. Some people probably do like it. I think it's fun. I'm in my barn right now and it's, I love this barn. I love my studio. I love to be creative here. Uh, being creative here, one thing I came up with here uh, a year ago was the Squeegee Power Design. I'm going to talk about my sponsors real quick. Window Washing by Chris Wilson is sponsoring this podcast. In fact, I need to get this finished and get over to uh, my client's house and, uh, and, and wash some windows. So I'm going to try and hurry and get that done. Let's see. So I came up with this design, the Squeegee uh, Power Design, Squeegee Lucian. And I've just signed a licensing deal. So that's going to now be, you know, plastered on some soap and some towels. Going to make some more t-shirts and stickers. I'm a pretty good window washer. 23 years now I've been washing windows since I was 19. 23 years of window washing experience available to you. It's been a busy week. I didn't have a lot of time to put into... Uh, editing this podcast down, you know, and it was so easy to just sit with Lissy and talk and talk and talk and visit and visit and uh, listen to her tell her stories about her life and, and some of the fun and crazy things she did, um, her good times and her bad times. She was pretty forthcoming, and I think she talks a lot about really neat stuff. I mean, neat stuff. She talks about neat stuff. If you like Lissy, you're going to enjoy this conversation. If you don't know about Lissy, then, you know, get to know her. Her music is great. She's a star on the rise. And uh, I'm not going to talk anymore. You can click the squeegee power fist, the now licensed d- d- design 
of windowcleaningresource.com and um, figure out how to get a hold of me so I can wash your windows. Okay? So in the meantime, listen to Lissy. Thank you, Jim Bailey. Right? Or, yeah. Yes. No, I haven't listened yet, but um, both Jim said it was really fun, and I, ha- I haven't talked to Richie about it, but I heard that Richie did it. Richie's was number one for quite a while, but now number one is the first one, which is Micah Van Ho, which is a, he's a young filmmaker here in LA. Okay. I'm, I'm going to be in his movie. Cool. Well, I mean, I, we did the part already. Micah Van Ho. I don't. I haven't met him yet. See. He... He's not famous. I mean, he's he's uh he's. You know, known amongst the few people he worked, uh, went to Happy Valley School where he taught for a little while. Okay. I've done a lot of different things here in town. How long have you been here? Are you from here? I've been here since 2001. Where'd you grow Maybe up? Maybe I'll just go off the external mics because I'm not quite sure what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> I grew up in the Northwest, okay. Washington State. Oh, cool. I was born near Seattle and I raised near Portland. Cool places. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's gorgeous, but I traded in the green and the gray for the brown and the blue. You know, once I got down to California, I think I had a long-term sort of burning desire to be in the sun, and it, I really grew up in the gray. I mean, it was just, it's just, relentless. Like in the Northwest. I mean, probably two or three. A little bit, there, yeah, right? pretty much every, I mean, actually, I haven't been there a ton, but I think I've gotten lucky where half the time it's actually been nice and sunny. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, I've, I've. Definitely, it's like, oh, it's drizzle, drizzle and gray. A lot of times people from the north, those seem like they're like, oh, Southern California is the worst, you know? You don't feel that way? I guess I LA think I would was be the worst. I in a little bit of that culture. You know, there's a lot of people that were super anti-California, and I never really felt like anti-California. I felt more like uh, uh, live and let live and... You know, if people want to, like, sell their property in L.A. for $3 million and move up and buy 15 times as much land in Portland and then be assholes, I mean, it, it, that's their God-given right. Mm. But, I mean, I think there's a lot of shit kickers and rednecks in Oregon that, I mean, I don't necessarily, in Washington, too, that I don't really, like, vibe with their sensibilities. Yeah. And so, like, you know, I like the I like People Ojai. are people, so it it's works like, for me. Yeah. Ojai works for me. It's like the people here... I mean, a lot of them drive me nuts, too, just like anywhere, but there's just sweet people here. Yeah. And there's, you know, woo-woo people here, and I like that stuff. I like, you know, what's your sign? You like an Aquarius? I'm the last day of Scorpio. Oh, okay. I'm kind of more Sagittarian. Yeah, I'm crazy. (laughs) I got a lot of Scorpio on my chart. Oh, yeah. What are you? I'm a Virgo. Okay. born in September, September 7th. Nice. Virgos are sturdy. You like Virgos. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's good. I think. I mean, well... I mean, my mom and dad are both earth signs, and I think that sort of says something about them. They married like forty, almost like forty-three years. That they're, they're like the they're the grounded force, and then the rest of us are like fire and. Your brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your childhood. I mean, what was that? We're kind of going. I mean, we're recording. Oh, are we recording? It's been recording for nine minutes. Okay. Um. Oh, great. What have I said so far? <laughs> what have you said so far that you don't want me to? Yeah. Repeat? No, I don't remember. <laughs> Um, it wasn't recording when you talked about your time at the Deer Lodge. Yes. Okay, good. Well, that was actually pretty innocent. So we can um, just talk about how religious and... <laughs> I grew up in Rock <laughs> Island, Illinois. What's that like with Rock Island? Just know the Rock Island line is Rock a mighty Island big road. Mighty good road. Mighty good road? Yeah. 
Rock Island is three hours west of Chicago on the Mississippi River by Iowa. So it's like, it's part of the Quad Cities, which is two cities in Iowa and two cities in Illinois that kind of all mixed together. Like Rock Island's like 35,000. Okay. But then right if you take the whole area, I think it's around 200,000. With the biggest city being what? Um, I guess maybe Davenport, Iowa is, that's right across from Rock Island. But you know, Bettendorf used to be more just like country. And every time I go back, it's like, it's just expanded and expanded into like the farmland is like, it, like the Iowa side is more successful than the Illinois side. So the Iowa side almost starts to look like a suburb where you have like the super target and the, you know, little boxes on the hillside kind of vibe. Uh huh. Not that there's really hills or bluffs. Um, Whereas the Illinois side is, I think, had more economic trouble. Like, when I was young and before I was born, Rock Island had a lot of, um, like, factory jobs, like, for farm implements. So, like, Illinois Harvester. Like, because John Deere's from Moline, Illinois, which is next to Rock Island. So there was, like, all these, like, factory jobs, which in, I think, 80, a lot of factories shut down. So Rock Island's actually shrunk. Has actually shrunk since I was born. And, uh... It's like sort of stayed a little bit untouched. No one's really moving in there or developing anything. Okay. So it still looks a lot like it did when I was young. A few things have changed, but selfishly, I appreciate it not having grown too much because then I can go back and, and kind of be like, nostalgic. Be nostalgic. And How old were you when you left? I was 18. Oh, so you did stay there for your, all of your childhood and youth. Yeah. High school there. My parents there. and my grandparents all went to high school in Rock Island. So and are we're, they still there? My parents are still there. Um, my grandfather, who was a singer and who was really big into uh, Rock Island, he was very proud to be, people from Rock Island are like really proud to be from Rock Island. And so he was a music teacher, he was a singer, he was an international barbershop quartet champion. I saw that in your bio Bob, Bob Morris. Bob and Morris. he sadly passed away, I guess, maybe eight years ago. Um, but he was in Rock Island, you know, till the end. Um, I guess maybe wintered in Arizona or had a place in Florida at one point, too. But uh, my grand other grandparents went to Florida, like, a long time ago. They got the heck out of there because it's really cold in the winter. I'm sure it must be bitter. Midwest winters mm -hmm. last for, what, 10 months, 12 months? No, it's not that bad. I mean, <laughs> around around October, it can still, you know, it's weird. Sometimes it'll be, like, November, and you're like, oh, what a nice day. And then the next day, you know, it'd be 70 one day in October, and the next day it's, like, 30. Yeah. So can shift really fast and then you get that mysterious really wonderful week in march where it's it's uh, 50 60 70 degrees you're like yeah winter's over and yeah it shuts down totally that's space. what they're going through right now my sister they had a birthday party for my niece and it was like it's snowing and it's like 30 degrees and um i'm and over you, it <laughs> ex-wife and two sons in minneapolis oh, okay yeah so you know about the cold it's even more frigid there, there. just visiting a couple times yeah it's it's pretty frigid. I mean, Minneapolis is more so, but um, but yeah. So my uh, family's been there a long time. Went to Rock Island High School, where my parents and grandparents went. Was a cheerleader briefly. <laughs> Got kicked out of school for what? Well, it's like this story. I kind of stopped telling because um, it's really long, and I'm not very good at being brief, as you'll see as you talk to me. Okay. <laughs> I just ramble, and I've had a ton of caffeinated tea. Um, I kind of don't talk about it because it was disrespectful, but I just had a lot of problems in high school. I think growing up maybe a little bit in the Midwest, like I was probably a shit. Like you don't really draw attention to yourself there. You kind of, you know, that sort of I'm special, like look what I can do thing kind of wound up making people like just 
not like you or resent you or something. It's almost like I drew attention to myself and I was confident and I was like dreaming big. Uh-huh. Like I was like, I'm going to do great things with my life, you know. So I don't know if I was like, I don't know what I was like. Did I wasn't your snotty. Did your parents feed that? Totally. Like, you can do anything you yeah. want and you can just push yourself and become whoever you want to be. Well, they to- they definitely did. I mean, my dad <clears throat> wasn't, you know, was they weren't well off when he was young and he went, you know, went to medical school. Worked hard. A I, doctor? Yeah, became a doctor, worked hard. What doctor is he? He's, an, uh, he's a gynecologist, oh, actually. Cool. Yeah, he's an OBGYN. Did he deliver you? He did, okay. yeah. I was the only kid that he delivered. I'm the youngest, so by the time I came around, they were just like, all right, <laughs> pull you out. You have brothers and sisters, then? Yeah, I have a 42-year-old brother and a 39-year-old brother and a 32-year-old sister. Oh, you're the baby. I'm the baby. I'm 30, so, and they all have kids, so I've got six, I've uh, five nieces and one nephew. Big family. Big family. Um... But I don't know how to quite explain it. I think now that I get older, I try to, like, reflect on, like, what I was like. Like, I was just a little bit too much. Like, I was one of those kids, like, if I wasn't in class, they would know. Like, if I tried to skip school, there's no way that I could have just gone gone under the radar. I could never go under the radar. I was always, like, shooting my mouth off. And so I kind of ended up, had a few people, like, gunning for me. I know it sounds paranoid, but I had some crazy-ass teachers. Other students or teachers? Teachers and, um... Adults. I mean, even when I was little, I was Annie when I was 10, uh-huh. and I did 80 shows, and it was like a dinner theater in our town, and I even remembered going to like a dance class after that or something, and I don't dance now, but, and you know, and it's some adult saying to a 10-year-old, like, you know, just because you were Annie doesn't mean you're better than everyone else, and and being like, <laughs> did I act like I was better than anyone else, so I think I still have this complex of needing everyone to like me. Because I had all this stuff where it's like, oh, what, you think you're so great? Like, let me show you, you know, like, I'm going to squash your spirit. And I, like, without being paranoid, like, genuinely had adults from the age of, like, 10 to 18 who, like, almost made it their personal mission to, like, put me in their pl- in my place. Mm-hmm. So I had, like, a teacher that called me, like, a ditz and a booty shaker because I was a cheerleader, you know. I had, you know, teachers who would just say things that, like, you can't really say that to, like, a 15-year-old. Like, I might be... Right, they just don't take, take into consideration the kind of impact it has on Yeah, emotions. it's like I might be, like, a loud mouth and seem confident, but I'm 15, and I'm hormonal, and I'm sensitive, and I'm afraid of rejection, and mm-hmm. I want people to like me, mm-hmm. and, you know. And so I had a lot of experiences like that. And it also culminated when I was a senior. I had thought that I had gotten permission to sing the national anthem at this basketball game. Because I was a singer, but I wasn't in any of the groups. Like, I wasn't in choir, because I tried that my freshman year, and I was failing it. Uh-huh. You know, this teacher that, what for whatever reason, I, you know, there was some concert I couldn't go to that I was, ma- that was mandatory. You know, it's, anyway, this is going, this is taking too long. Is this time, are we going into the... <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, do you want to... Long story around, short. Like, you got kicked out for... Long story short, I go to... Being a dance and a booty shaker. Yeah. <laughs> I go to school, well, because well, my junior year, I, I, though, I actually stopped cheerleading, I cut off my hair, like, I dyed it red, I got my nose pierced, I got a tattoo, I started playing guitar. I, like, I had mono after my sophomore year, and that mono, like, changed my life, like, two months of just being sick and having mono, probably because I was making out with too many boys, um, <laughs> like, totally changed my perspective, like, I went back to school and I was like, I don't want to hang out with, like, the quote-unquote cool kids, they're not nice, they're not interesting, they're not nice to me. Like, I don't want to... It's like you almost have to... It's political. Uh-huh. You almost have to be mean to people in order to be, like, at the top of the cool thing. And I was like, I don't care about all that stuff. Like, I don't want to... 
fit into this group. Like, I'm just going to do my own thing. Like, got a job at the, like, alternative coffee shop and played at the open mic. And, you know, so by my senior year, I was already kind of checked out and smoking lots of weed. And uh, I go to think I'm singing at this basketball game and uh, was told I wasn't. And I just was, like, so fed up with, like, the way I felt that I'd been treated that I basically looked at the band director guy who was the one who informed me, like, I don't care if you think you're singing, you're not singing, I don't care what you have to say, like, no one told me, just being really mean about it, and I've made peace with him since, I ran into him when I was home, but I spit in his face, and I told him, to, I said, fuck you and fuck this school, and I spit in his face, then they arrested me and took me to jail because I assaulted a public That's official, I got charged with a felony, I had to, felony. assaulting a public official is a felony, oh, okay, when you were on school property, that probably didn't so I went to jail. I had to do all this like court stuff where Did they reduce your sentence or Yeah, you, uh... so I pled guilty and then they reduced it to a misdemeanor and then I did a hundred hours of community service, which actually I did by setting up a recycling program in my college dorm. So it ended up being kind of a positive experience. Um and a year to the day that I got kicked out for spitting, which is a terrible thing to do, it's disrespectful, I know. A year after that Thank to God the day. I sang the national anthem at the Colorado State basketball game, and it was like redemption. <laughs> like I auditioned to sing at the Colorado State basketball game where I went to college. And, and did you close it out with "Eat That"? Rock <laughs> no, or I still think I'm going to sing it at the Super Bowl. But I are you aiming for? That? I mean, that's yeah, a good goal. Yeah, I'm going to sing the national anthem at the Super Bowl for sure one day. <laughs> but um, I I wasn't. I'm not a super bitter person. Like I kind of see that people just live in the realities they live in. You can't take stuff personally I mean I think I was a little bit like felt like I never got to tell my side of the story because that story goes deeper because my father ended up getting in trouble too because he tried to like take me out of the school and then he got ta tackled by an undercover cop and so when he pushed Your this dad. my dad when my dad pushed this guy off of him it was like he assaulted an officer and it just turned into this shit show like uh -huh. in the news like front page of the paper my dad you know could have lost his medical license like I was depressed for you know a year after that because I put my family through this because they're a very respectable family mm -hmm. in our community yep. okay uh, this is like such a you? long ambling story yeah well, because I want to find out something more at the core and I think that, like what's the industry in, the, in your town I mean what's the big industry is it a blue-collar town yeah it's a blue-collar okay, town you're a physician's daughter are you perceived then as a young woman of privilege? Are yeah, you privilege? I think I was. We lived in a little rich girl, and it didn't help that we lived in this like giant house yeah. with like you know this huge all this land and like like we had an apple orchard in our front yard pretty much and this giant house, this swimming pool, and yeah, I think and I there's was. There's only a few people that are like the yeah the wealthy people, at school. but we still were like you know middle class. My dad's like the sort of doctor that takes medic Medicare and was like you know working at this free clinic and you know he was doing a lot of things for the community so he was by no means like the you know we didn't live in like the fancier neighborhood that bordered the town next door um he was always pretty selfless person still is but uh but yeah no I was some... perceived because I was the blonde you know the blonde like enthusiastic sort of person that people wanted to hate even what though they didn't know me <laughs> yeah but I kind of like it kind of, it kind of was, but I I don't think that I perpetuated it. I think I was really sensitive because then as I got to my junior senior year, I mean I was probably hanging out more with the people who thought I was like that when I was a freshman or something. Oh, then they seen. And then they, they saw that I wasn't oh, I wasn't part of like the clique of like 
powerful girls or something. I was very much, like, aside from that. You know, but I still was friends with them. I don't really know. I think it was just a thing where it was a combination of that sort of small town, like, who do you think you are, slash, like, me probably being a bit of a loudmouth, you know, talking in class, like, interrupting, like, talking back. Because, you know... you suspended for any of that stuff? Or did you oh, yeah. I got suspended all the time. <laughs> well, I started... And when that happened and you had to go home and were your parents like, oh, <laughs> what are we going to do? Or Elizabeth? Yeah. How do, you, how do you say your full name? Elizabeth. You do with the S, not mm-hmm. a Z, not the Z sound at all. Well, it's an S. Well, what's weird is it is Elizabeth, but my parents will call me Elizabeth or Lizzie or Lissy. It's really been interchangeable and confusing my whole life. So when I started performing, I was like, it's Lissy. Because mm-hmm. it was spelled with S's. But, you know, people would call me Liz. Sort of from 18 on, I'm like, it's Lissy, because yeah. that's how it's spelled. But then if I go home, my friends are like, oh, Lissy. <laughs> like, like teasing you. Yeah, kind of. I mean, now they've gotten used to it, but I think initially they were like, oh, Lissy. And I'm like, well, my name is Lissy. Everyone just always called me Lizzie, and I never, never, even my parents who tried to name me Lisabeth, because we have Swedish. Lisabeth. Oh, okay. And then it turned into Lizard very quickly. You know, my mom's plan was for the S to be S to be prominent, but my brother started calling me Lizard when I was a baby, which turned into Lizzie. Oh, this is the other thing I wanted to know, too. Did you, did you uh, walk in the shadow of rebellious uh, older siblings? No. Did they have reputations that preceded you, that got you into trouble? Not at all. Actually, the opposite. It probably feeds the whole sort of percept. I don't know if... I actually really don't I don't know it's hard to say but my oldest brother valedictorian okay. really good smart guy first person I think Rock Island High School to ever go to Stanford wow. he's you know went What's to Stanford Business now? School he's an investment banker is he in, the Bay in San Francisco yeah nice he's just there it's great it's I love visiting we took all my son up to San Francisco this weekend oh. it's a gorgeous weekend yeah no I think um, it's it's so close and I forget to get there it is a really great place you took what there? Oh, hi, son. Yeah, well, it was just sunny, you know. Oh, like okay. I was like, 60, what's oh, hi, sun? Sixty-two and foggy, and it was like yeah. in the seventies. It was clear. Mm. It was beautiful. Stayed in yeah. some yurts, and actually, we stayed in yurts that Todd Hannigan played at uh, in Big Sur. They're called, it's called Tree Bones. Okay. Highly recommend. Really cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was awesome with that ocean view. Are they like so luxury cool. yurts? Well, I mean, I, about as luxurious as a yurt can get. Yeah. As a tent with a wood floor can get, yeah. I mean, a sink and a heater, a oh. propane heater and a nice bed. What's it called? Tree Bones. Tree Bones. I've never been to Big Sur. Can you believe it? Sure, I can believe it. I, I mean, don't know. a lot of I land gotta to go. cover. Yeah, I know it. I hear You've nothing You've never just driven thing. up the one? You haven't gone up the one yet? Mm, I don't think so. Well, you'll probably buy Hearst Castle soon. You know, I did <laughs> go near Hearst Castle. I did stay at the Madonna Inn. I okay. crossed that one off the to-do list. How was it? It was good. I was by myself. I was on the way back from visiting my brother and was driving, and I was like, I'm going to stop there. Why not? I don't have anything to do tomorrow. Yeah, definitely. It's awesome. It's so cool. It would be more fun if you were there with, like, a guy or something, but I'm single, so so. (laughs) I was, like, (laughs) by myself at the bar drinking wine. Um, But, yeah, no, I haven't been to Big Sur, but that's, like, on the list of – everyone says it's absolutely gorgeous. Tree peeps. Tree bones. Tree bones. Tree bones. Tree bones. Nice. It's it's a a neat – there's a 16 yurts and a tree house and a nice restaurant and Carlos is an excellent sushi chef mm. I have to say I mean I was really impressed with the quality of the sushi it was yummy wow is it like fresh from the Pacific I mean is I, it I, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know mm. what the story is on 
I didn't ask origin of the fish. Yeah. Excuse me, is this organic fish? No. <laughs> okay, believe me, such, such words have slipped past my lips <laughs> yeah. before. Um, so, oh, I read an interesting article because I'm, now I'd asked you about your brother. Like, if you had a reputation that preceded you, you say no. So I'm happy with no, that. No, yeah, because my other brother is a physician and my sister's like a, you know, got her master's and has actually gone into social work. So she's a very, like, compassionate, amazing human being. But she was also valedictorian. My the second bro my other brother went to Northwestern and Northwestern met so I basically the, the they all worked really hard in school they were in sports they were like very disciplined but and also very popular like my one of my brother was homecoming king my sister's homecoming princess whereas I was just like you guys have already impressed our parents <laughs> like I'm gonna be a singer <laughs> and uh, okay that's I'm going to be you know, an entertainer. You, okay, first I just want to go through this very quickly. You went to college for how long then? I did two years at Colorado State. Okay. And then I did a semester actually in Paris. Nice. Which was awesome. Where, like Sarbonne? Like uh, Sarbonne it was through C, I think it was CEA, Cultural Experiences Abroad. But yeah, it was like the Sorbonne language school. So you go there two hours a day. Uh-huh. I actually met this Parisian painter guy that I ended up dating the whole time I was there, which was pretty authentic and cool. Way fun. to experience yeah. France. Yeah. Yeah. You were um, there for how long? A whole year? Like four or five months. So, yeah. So that was cool. And then I just decided, like I went back to Colorado, but I quit school and I was working in this bar. And it was it got like a little dark because I didn't have anything that I was doing. And I was at this club late at night with some shady folks. Uh, so I was then I was like, I'm going to move to L.A. and go to the Musicians Institute. Oh, okay. Where what I went for six musician? months. Uh, what's that? Sound like Hollywood and Highland. It's like a, it's accredited. It doesn't go for well. I don't. Know, it doesn't go for college credit. It's like getting a, like almost like a, what do they call it? Not an apprenticeship, but like if you were, like you get like certified, in yes. like the recording arts program. Okay. You know, so you get like a certificate, but it's not college credit. So I went to this recording arts program. This was two thousand three, so it was like you know MacBook and figuring out how to interface so that I could record myself, which. I learned and then I never really use now because I know people who can do it better than I do, so I just let them do it. Yeah, there's engineers but, for that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, but like knowing what EQ is and like compression and a preamp. You have a feel for that stuff. Yeah, so that if you're working with you're someone, listening to something you, can hear. you know, you know what a track is. It's like, okay, you know, what an overdub or, you know, just understanding the lingo. So I spent six months there in Hollywood. Did you start gigging? Started gigging. Went, my first thing is I showed up at Molly Malone's and I guess, is that West Hollywood? Showed up at Molly Malone's with a guitar and like naively, you know, it never had any doubt in my mind that like, I'm going to make it. So I went up to this person there. Um, actually, it was like in a back room was sort of open and I knocked and I had my guitar and I'm like, can I play you a song to get a gig here? And he was like, uh, you're like, this isn't how we do it. Uh, but I was like 21, and I was like, you know, kind of cute then. So <laughs> I think you're still cute. No, these two guys were like, all right, cool, play us a song, and I played, and they were like, oh my gosh, like, you know, you aren't terrible. So then I played Genghis Cohen was like my first proper show, which is a really cool like listening room in uh, West Hollywood. I've heard of it. I've been there. It's a great venue, um, and great food too. They have really good Chinese food. So I played there, and so on and so forth. It sort of. I mean, again, I'm very long-winded, so long no, story no, no, short. You're, not, you're fine. Played there. This woman saw me there who then took me to a producer who then 
helped me shop around a demo, got a record deal, met my manager through that record deal. That record deal fell through. Then just sort of played with friends in Hollywood. I started this thing with my friends called Beachwood Rockers Society. Every Wednesday night at this bar in Hollywood called Cranes for like three years, we'd meet and play. And it was like magic. Oh, wow. Magical time. Does that still exist in some regard? It does actually like... So that was 10 years ago, so that have been 2003. Well, it started in... No, the, so this was 2006 when oh. we started. So three years after I moved there is when I sort of started this night um, with my friends. No, I moved in 2004. So two years after moving, I met, finally after two years in L.A. You're in Colorado and then moved out and decided, like, I've got to go to L.A. and make this happen. Yeah, going to do it. Going to kill this shit. But you when know? did you know, I mean, I'm going to go you know, <laughs> go back to your childhood. Because, you know, I've read about, like, Eminem and I don't know who else it was. Like, really successful musicians that knew, like, God told them that they were going to be famous musicians. So was there, did you have, like, a young premonition about being a musician? <coughs> or when did you I... decide you were going to be a singer? I always, I mean, I don't know if like, God told me, you know, but I always knew that I was going to do this since I was real little. I mean, I was writing songs or just making songs up and singing them from as early of an age as I can remember. I mean, we have home videos of me. It's probably like a two-year-old, like, rocking in the rocking chair, like, humming to myself. Like, just always was really fascinated by music and melody. I'd go sit in the park and like, the little slide tunnel with my My First Sony Oh, and I would like record myself singing. At least I thought I was recording myself singing, but I think it was a Huey Lewis tape, and it didn't actually record. <laughs> <laughs> like you couldn't record over a. You know, I always knew it was what I wanted to do. I always felt like I. You know, I got that sensitive, quote unquote, artistic personality, which a lot of people you know have. It's like you always need to make things mean stuff, especially when I was young. It was like. Sounds like a landmark forum quote. <laughs> really? <laughs> did you do that? I did the first weekend. Yeah. I know people who have done several that. Several years ago, but that, that was, I wasn't about ready to join the cult exactly. But I mean, it was it was fascinating. I mean, I think some of the, the, the quotes in the bedrock or the, you know, the, the ideas behind it are really interesting. I know people who've done it and like, but they're the kind of people who every other month are on some new self-help kick, you uh -huh. know? So it was sort of like, uh... But then, yeah, they said it sort of after that gets a little culty. So I don't know enough about it to like, put it down. But Yeah, I think I'm, I actually started to like myself a little bit in the last few years. So I don't do quite as much of the self-help. <laughs> yeah. And I think I did enough of the self-torture in my third adolescence, which was, you know, the last 10 years in LA. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think one thing I've learned, because I'm really, like, open to anything that things other people would be like, well, that's dumb, you know. Like, some of, like, the spiritual stuff up here that people are into that, like, you know, say someone like my brother who's you know very pragmatic and science you know mm -hmm. it's like all this mystical stuff like he sort of giggles like oh i'm a hippie i believe in yeah. crystals vibrating right. whereas i'm like i believe it i kind of am like i don't really know anything about anything so i sort of believe all of it i mean or believe nothing i, just, I, I like, think it feels good yeah so i kind of feel like if i just know that i don't know anything really and i'm just trying to like work hard and make good decisions and not be um a dick and not like and catch myself when I you know because I can be very self I mean not listen to how much I talk I can be very self-absorbed but you're never going to be a star if you're not self <laughs> I mean then you already are a star I mean okay so then now you're I'm going to just keep interrupting you Hollywood 2004 you did the thing at Cranes so we did this thing and I'm going to get to your break 
So well, let's, let's okay. get from there to your break. The thing at Cranes was great, you know, just as a side, like, side note here, as part of my experience, because I'd always just been solo acoustic guitar, had sort of played with other people in college, but in college it was like this boys club, and I was also probably naive, and so I always felt like, oh, girls are stupid, you know, girls' guitars are dumb, they just sing about boys, you know, that was the sort of vibe I got from the... The other guy musicians I looked up to in college, uh-huh. like, oh, girls with guitars just sing about boys, it's so dumb, like, you know, and it, I, I was always, like, seeking approval then, like, the people that would say that, I was like, I will win them over, like, they will oh, like wow. me. you're driven, not like, fuck them. I don't know, I think my, some, my sister does too, it's like, I, don't, I know a lot of people like that, it's like, if someone doesn't like me, I will work very, instead of being like, oh, well, fuck that person, like, who cares, I will, like, try to make them like me, <laughs> like, I swear I'm a nice person, <laughs> like, you know, and it's like, I don't like to feel like I'm being misunderstood, anyway, so, I never really played with other people, and then went to this thing in Hollywood at Cranes, which is now closed, but Beachwood Rockers, and, you know, ended up having this, like, long, tumultuous relationship with one of the guys I started it with, and, but for the first year, it was magic, it was, like, free, and everyone listened and everyone knew each other's songs and it was like structured so that the door was like right next to the stage right next to the bathroom and like the patio so you could be outside kind of standing on the stairs smoking but there was this big open window behind the stage so you could be you're still part of the show outside but like it was all so cramped and but people would listen like that bands were formed from it relationships started like you know i would get up and sing like one of my good friends john hawks uh who's this amazing actor um, he, like him and I would do a duet and that just sort of was born out of like people from all kinds of different walks of life. And it's funny cause some of them now, you know, are Oscar nominated actors or, well, who else was there? Can you name um, other names of people that were there that are prominent now? Or? Kesha hung out, but she didn't hang out till it got lame. Uh, strike that from the record. I'm not a huge fan of Kesha, but like at the end, so for a year it was like really cool and magical. Yeah. <laughs> For a year, it was, like, real magical and special, and everyone knew each other and was nice. And then once word got out, it was cool. Then it started to lose some of its charm. And that was when, like, people started doing coke in the bathroom, and it got really gross. That's around the time Kesha showed up. And uh, and then it's sort of the dynamic change. No one was really listening. Like, bands were playing. No one knew who. You know, it's like it was a family for the first year. Mm. But now it's still going in a different bar. And actually on 6th, on April 6th, some of my friends are going to come play Deer Lodge. Oh, And I'm going to, like, post it. It's under the umbrella of Beachwood Rockers Society. But um, I don't know if you know the names. My friend Ed Matuzzi, Trip Rezac, Foster Timms, Jesse Cole. I knew someone named Matuzzi at Washington State. Is that Italian name? Yeah, I think it's Italian. I don't think he was ever in Washington, though. He is from... No, his name wasn't Ed, and he wasn't a musician. He was oh. a librarian. Oh, like he was, he was a big... He was like an archivist. Uh, so I think he was in the... I uh, can't remember his first name. I just know he was Matuzzi. It's a great last name. I always steal his line because... And I say it all the time now. People are like, hey, how are you? I'm fine. And then, how are you? I'm pretty happy. I can just remember him saying that really loud. I'm happy. And so I, <laughs> in the library. It seems like it was like he's in the library making noise. Matuzzi though, I think is a great name because it's like, hey, Matuzzi. Yeah, you know, it's a really name. good, good strong name. So but I wonder if they're related, but maybe just through Adam. I he's from the East Coast originally. I, I think I probably know his whole path. I'd have to think about it for a second. So those people are going to play April 6th. Yes, some 6th. of those people so April 6th, Saturday, Deer Lodge. 
Kind of plug. Gonna, yeah, well, let's plug up. it. You're going to play too. Saturday, April 6th, it's like 6 to 8. There'll be like acoustic. Everyone's going to play like a couple songs acoustic. And then around 9, we'll have like the band start. And each band will play like 30 minutes. And the hope is like to keep it a little loose so that my friend musicians here and the ones that are coming, you know, not all necessarily from L.A. because some of them have moved on and moved to other places and they happen to be around. So they're going to come. Mm -hmm. Um and uh, and do like some band stuff, and then just really try to get people to get up and play with each other, like kind of improvised oh, okay. sort of, of thing, a jam. Little fish, little Grateful Dead. Yeah, or maybe you know playing their originals, but having someone who's I don't, no, not playing covers necessarily, but just the jam concept. Yeah, the jam concept for sure. Yeah, but the stage fills up with whoever feels like getting up there. And, yeah, and people who can follow along even if they don't know the song. Sure. Um, the guitar player in my band, Eric Sullivan, is just. A madman and Jesse Siebenberg, who you probably have met, who's I also in my yet. band. But I think uh, Todd. Todd, Todd yeah, the, Todd and Jesse are great Todd friends. Confirmed that he's going to do the podcast too. So. Yeah, Todd's awesome. I'm really excited. That's another thing I can. Well, let me finish this, then I'm tell you about something else. But so Jesse and Eric, for example, were at Deer Lodge Saturday uh, with a couple different in, incarnations of groups, and it was magical. Like there was, I mean, it was a great night of music at the Deer Lodge Lake. I mean, just kind of jams, but like structured songs, but with really great just like parts at the end that would just kind of go on and elevate to where you kind of, you know, I'm a fish fan, you mentioned fish, and you see them and it's like that thing, you feel like this is religion, it's like they're bringing you to the light, like yeah. they start down here, and then they kind of build it up, and then they kind of take it away, and then they build it up until right. finally it's like, da -da -da, and it just yeah. totally peaks, and you're like, just like glory hallelujah, you know, I love listening to instrumental even I'm a singer but I'd really just like listening to instrumental when music it's done right yeah that band it just takes on such a journey so there was a lot of that going on on Saturday so I'm hoping that that happens April 6th the second thing is uh May 25th at the Libby Bowl I'm doing a fundraiser for Changing Tides Orphanage that's your second one your second one we did one last year right and uh Todd Hannigan's gonna play and then this great local artist named Emmy Reynolds. I know Emmy. Yeah, she's going to play as well. So it'll be a really, and it's Groovy. a full moon that night. Oh, wow. So last year we did in August. It was so hot. Mm -hmm. It was like painfully hot. So oh this year. Oh, my God. 2012 summer was so oh, worse. so hot. I was like, ah, can't handle it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so now we'll do that May 25th. It's a full moon. Nice. The weather should be nice. And, nice. you know, get a, lo a bunch of local bands playing so oh you want me to go back to try to tell you <laughs> the story that i was telling well i want to get i want to get up to what you know okay. what, what's your break where's your break okay well it's sort of a few part thing how do i do this quietly or not quietly quickly and we haven't even gotten to me analyzing your videos yet oh, okay we'll get there too um long story short played at genghis cohen this woman betsy hammer like discovered me she worked at happy madison which is adam sandler's production gotcha. company mm -hmm. with a guy called brooks arthur okay. who's a old engineer like did my boyfriend's back hang on sloopy engineer okay back in the day and he produces all of adam's comedy albums and has this studio outside of happy madison on the sony lot in culver city gotcha they signed a production deal with me and you know with i'm going into a lot of detail but they produced like a four song ep for me which was just guitar and vocal and shopped it around I was signed to Maverick Records with Guy Osiri. Which What's the album title of that work? I think that didn't come out. Oh, that was okay. just to shop me around. And this was in 2004, 2005. So then my, I, I was signed to uh, Maverick Records with Guy Osiri. Guy Osiri is now Madonna's manager. Okay. 
Okay. And Guy Osiris is like a very, you know, influential guy, and he saw something special, so I was signed to Maverick. Went and recorded with Glenn Ballard, who did Jacob Little Pill with Alanis Morissette. Right on. Um, only got went in for a week with Glenn, but you know, did some cool stuff, and he assembled the band. Did that. That's the band that you're playing with now? No, no, no. Okay. All right. As he assembled the band for that. This oh, was when I was 20, session 22, 23, right. session guys, who, yeah. some of which I'm still friends with. Um, you know, really cool, like, big-time experience, but then, you know, at record labels, like, every two years, it's like the changing of the guards. Every two years, they've got a new MD, you know, new managing director, all new A&R, you know, everything's always shifting, and at that time, Maverick was going to actually kind of close, and its artists would just go into Warner. So I went and had a meeting with Tom Wally, who was the head of Warner, which I think maybe still is, and he was like, you know, you're not far enough along in this project. I don't see where it's going. So then they dropped me. But when they dropped me through, okay, so through getting signed to Maverick, um, Guy O'Siri thought I should meet some managers. So he he set me up with, like, a bunch of different managers. And I also had met a lawyer, so I had a lawyer at this point. And so I met, ended up meeting my manager, Peter. Um, he was by far, like, my favorite person that I met with, like, just a really real nice English guy, but, like, down to earth, like, you know, had to cancel a meeting because he had something with his kids, like, you know, just a good dad, like, uh -huh. you know, not like a douchey, slick guy, you know. Okay. So I really liked him, so I started working with Peter, and then when I got dropped from Maverick, he was able to get, like, my con the rest of my contract, which was owed to me, like, that money to me, even though I was dropped. And he was even able to get me dropped, because they probably wouldn't have dropped me, they probably would have just not done anything with me and kept me. Yeah. So, got dropped, um, and then unfortunately, you know, at that point I ended up having falling out with the, the people who I did the production deal with, because it expired, and they wanted to renew it, and I said, I don't want to go try to get a record deal right now, I want to just, like, learn about music. So this is like, I'm 20, 23 at this point, and instead of, like, running out and trying to get another deal, I decided, like, I want to hold off, uh -huh. I want to, like, kind of explore what I want musically, you know, and then I, that was when I started the Beachwood Rockers thing was in that time. I want to play music with other people. I want to, you know, learn how to cook. I want to date. You know, I don't want to just suddenly be like, I'm going to be a star because I think I realize, like, I don't want to be famous. Like, if I am... How's I, your level of fame right now? I mean, you're, like, boutique famous. I'm... I don't know if, like, I'm recognizable, but, uh -huh. you know, people, some people seem to know who I am. If I go to Norway, I'm famous. People know who You'll I am. You'll be there in a few months, right? April. Yeah, I'll be there in the April. summer. Oh, Not in April. Bergenfest this summer? Yeah, we're doing, like, eight, we go to Norway all the time. We have oh, eight, okay. eight shows there this summer, so we oh, do okay. real well there. And in the UK, like, my record went gold. So I'm getting, I'm getting there. So basically, I didn't try to get another deal. And then this was, like, my first hard lesson. I ended up having a falling out with the production company people to where, like, they won't speak to me because they felt like I betrayed them. But it was hard because I had to go with my gut. I'm like, I don't want to go get a deal and be a pop star. Uh -huh. You know, I want to, like, just chill for a second. Like, uh -huh. I feel like I've got some music in me that I don't want someone mandating how I need to do it. Uh -huh. So I was able to live off of the rest had of... Had you seen other people, like, fall into that trap and been, like... Well, of... well, it's like you go in and you're that age and it's like you are... You know, I co-write a lot now with people I like to write with, but it's like, oh, your songs aren't quite good enough. Like, you know, you don't really have a lot of say over what your sound is. I mean, I think it takes them a while to figure out who you are. So at that age, it's like, oh, you know, girl with a big voice, you know, let's like write her some songs or get her to write some big hits and like have her sound be just, 
insert female singer here, you know. I, I knew I wouldn't be able to pull that off because, I mean, I think I don't think I have a terrible personality, but I'm not good at being, like, the, like, poster girl. Yeah, I can't really. It's like I'm, I'm mostly awkward all the time. So then, well, then what happened? So then, then some time passed, and then my manager took me over to England, and oh. this was where it all, where it really started. Your Sony UK thing. Yeah. So my manager took me to now, London. Were you on Fat Possum already at this point? Mm-hmm. Have you done the Fat Possum? Okay, that's still coming. That's still coming. Went to. That's a cool label. It's very cool, and that was actually an interesting thing because. <laughs> and there she goes on another path. <laughs> no, I can't. My it's like balls. everything's a it's long story. Okay, I'm really gonna make this brief. So, went to England, got in front of a bunch of different labels, just a guitar and vocal, played for them. I had a demo of a song that they'd been sent beforehand, which, like, was so kind of a rockin' song. No, it's okay. a song I never put up. Okay. Um, but it was a pretty cool demo. It's called Hey Boy. And, uh... Not that blonde <laughs> girls just sing about their boyfriends. Hey Boy. No, all my songs are about boys. I don't deny it. But, um, then... So I played for these these people, and then Columbia, UK, which is Sony offered me a deal, a great deal. I have a really awesome deal because it's like a 360 deal. It's not, so I got, it's almost as though like I'm an entity and like all the different people that are part of what I do, including Sony, we all own different percentages of like my career. Okay. But like, and and the end result that I do well, it's like, I'm, I'm, I won't tell you the percentages. I'm probably going too far, but I, I will be the majority owner of everything that I create as an artist I got it. Okay. And so it's not like, uh, so it's like, it's almost like buying shares or having shares in a company, you know, and I'm the majority. Anyway, I'm getting off track. So I signed this deal. It was a really great That's deal. interesting. Uh, side note, though. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't know that that worked. How yeah, it worked? it's a kind of, it was a new model. And so my lawyer and manager were like, this is a really great deal. And I, you know, got a really great advance and living, you know, and then it took, well, that was 2007. I didn't make my album until 2009. So for like two years, I had this advance, and I was just kind of waiting to make a record. Did a lot of writing. Finally made a record, 2009. And the record was done, but then my friend Bill Reynolds, who lives here, who's in Band of Horses, and we have done a lot of songs together. He produces some of my music. He was around. Mm-hmm. I went out to North Carolina to see him. He came out here to visit me, and we made this EP called Why You Runnin'. Mm-hmm. And... Um, like, there, it, like there wasn't enough momentum for me to just put out a full length album that I'd recorded. So, you know, Sony was o- being actually pretty open minded and cool about it. They said, like, look, you know, we your EP's great. You and Bill have a good chemistry. He ended up moving here. He's lived here now for like three years. Um, he lived here and now he lives down the street. But um, they said, you know, we'll like license you to Fat Possum in the U.S. because they want to put out your EP. Oh, okay. Because my A and R guy knew Matthew Johnson from Fat Possum, so and Matthew Johnson's awesome. I mean, I the great thing about Fat Possum is I'm like I want to use this photo and these are the songs. He's like, cool, we'll put it out. Whereas with the major, it's like, oh, I don't know, like no, twelve people have to be like, okay, do we agree? Is this the right picture? And it's like, I don't know, maybe this one's better. And it's like, you know, God, God bless them. The artist doesn't get to have that much say. Well, Sometimes. you you do if you you do if you push for it, but you know it's it's more of a system where it's like there's a lot of people that have to like all all email and agree. But I'm I'm very lucky because I work with really awesome people, so it's just the system. It's not anyone personally. It's, it's the just, music industry. It's the yeah, industry. it's yeah. just like I want to use this photo. Well, oh well, market research would sure. show that like oh. you know <laughs> I don't know what if that's true. 
But it's no, sort no, of like yeah, I think that's true. What what vibrant you know? Does what does the music sound like? What what picture does the music sound like for uh-huh. the cover? And maybe I don't always have the best eye for myself, so I'm open to their good ideas because it's like, oh yeah, that's a great album cover. That kind of encompasses the sound. Mm-hmm. But other times you're like, I really like this picture, and they're like, you know, I don't think that's right. If you really fight for it, you can get it. But there's a lot of there's a lot of people who chime in. Which can be great if you have a great team, which I do. But it's not as easy as me just saying, all right, I want to use these four songs. Here's the picture. You know, I want to call it that. But it was that easy with that boss. It was. So we put out that EP, and that's when I started getting, like, some indie buzz in the U.S. Um, You know, so that's when I got to do South By three years ago, and it went really well. And, you know, then Perez started, Hilton started writing about me, and um, I got to open up for Ray LaMontagne, and stuff just started happening, and we... Then went over to the UK um, and did um, like Jules Holland and got to play Glastonbury and started doing all this stuff in the UK and it just really went well. I mean, by within a year we were playing Shepherd's Bush Empire, which is like a pretty good sized venue in London. Uh Um, You know, they were playing me on Radio 2 and a little bit on Radio 1. Radio 1's like the one to try to get because everyone in the UK like listens to Radio 1, Radio 2. It's like national radio. So if you get on Radio 1, that's what the kids are listening to, you know. So we got on a little bit on Radio 1, mostly on Radio 2, and put out my album and, you know, sold 100,000 copies in the UK. So I'm not famous there, but, you know, I had a good amount of success. Yeah, and so, like, this summer I'll play some festivals, and then in the fall when my full-length album comes out, hopefully by then... That's done recorded. That's done. I'm done with my new album, so in... The end of April, I'm putting out a single, uh, and then I'll put out an EP in June, and then I'll put another single, and then in September I'll put the full length out. So hopefully by you know it's sort of by the time I wanted the full length to come out like a month ago, but you have to like call, if you can't just go away for three years and think people are going to be there. Some people are. You got to get them talking about you again, and I'm not in the hype, but. I think the the people I work with recognize you have to like build up anticipation. Anticipation. You have to release Hunger. a song and a video, and then you know some con some content, some cool stuff they can see. You know, and I've been kind of producing my own content of late. What like videos and stuff? Or no, just things like for like? example, like I mean, it was not the initial reason. I mean, the my guitar player Eric and I went to Haiti with Vance Sims, sure, who sure. started changing yeah, tides. Yeah, about that from paper. Yeah, really. Not oh, about you, did, you, but, but I mean, about the orphanage. Yeah, when he did the orphanage. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. We went there and we saw it, and we, I took two guys down, and we hung out with these kids, and we filmed the whole thing. And Vance is doing this incredible thing for not only like the kids in the orphanage, which is amazing, but also like in the community, he takes a water truck out, and you know does a feed like a feeding program where yeah. the kids will actually go around and give rice and beans and things to like the elderly in the community. And he's really teaching them about... So it's expansive. I mean, it's expanding. Within the community, I mean, he has a really positive impact. And I like his style because it's not like, oh, like the Americans are going to come and help help the Haitians. You know, it's he's very practical and really cool. He's just like, look, I'm in a position where I can help these people. Even if I only help like this handful of kids, I know that that's like something that's worth doing and worth trying. And so the school, you know... These kids are like the future of their country, which is just even before the earthquake, and just have had a lot of you know it's the poorest poorest place in the Western Hemisphere. So stuff like that, like where 
I went and we shot it and we made like a promo video for Vance to use. But also we're going to make like a little series about it because we took some guitars down that Fender donated. Oh, nice. So doing things like instead of, you know, content being like, oh, like let's have you walking down like a city street in a cool outfit talking about your new album. You know, that's cool. And yeah. so like, yeah, but that's kind of vacuous. Like there's, that's not like, like helping people get to know me or what I'm interested in. So I also went down to Mexico and learned how mezcal was made. And I, I videoed that whole thing. So like wanting to like unroll things that are more like things that I'm passionate about as opposed to it just being like, you know, wearing the latest fashion or some dumb shit that I personally don't care about. So here I am just babbling on. Do we have a point here? Let's see. Where were we? In the UK. So that was basically UK. my break. It's been a slow and steady climb. Which I am totally cool with because, again, like, I always knew I wanted to do this, but really what I'd like to do is just not have to worry about money and get to enjoy performing. Do you worry about money now? I do, yeah. Yeah? I wasn't worried as much, like, when I was busy, but I haven't been busy for, like, two years. And so what pays the best? Is it the gigs and touring, or is it, like, record label advances? Uh, the, advan the advances sort of pay the best at this point, but I have to pay all that back. I mean, yeah, album So sales. I won't really start making money until I pay back what I owe. And I'm I'm unrecouped by kind of a lot. But when we play... So that would be something to worry about, kind of, yeah? Yeah, but then it's like, you know, I have a good structure to my deal. So in theory, if I did do really well, it would be fine. Or, you know, sometimes I think to myself, oh, what if this record just bombs and no one cares and I'm unrecouped forever and I totally fail. And I tell myself, yeah, what if that happens? Cool, like, you just worked your way through the worst case scenario. Yeah, you know, I tell myself, though, that's one thing I've gotten better at now. It's like, I, I can't control things. I can work hard, and I can do a good job and stay true to myself. But, like, I can't control things. And I know I'm not willing to resort to being some, like, slimy, ambitious, like, social climber, like, weasel. So, what am, you know, I can't worry about it. I have a great family. I get to live in a cool place. I'm going to have to tell myself this every day. Like, look how beautiful it is outside. Oh, yeah, I mean, Ohio's pretty choice. Yeah, and I'm like on an email that, like, oh, this pisses me off. Like, I have no control. And then I say, well, you can't do anything right now. So instead of worrying about it, make sure that you, like, have all your ducks in a row. But, like, go enjoy your day. Like, don't let it bum you out. In the moment, yeah, yeah. Keep it, it's hard to do. Keep it real. But so basically it's been, like, nice to where I, I would love to win a Grammy. I would love to, like, sell records. I'd love to be able to play to, like, 5,000 people everywhere I go. You know, and for money, I don't live lavishly, so for money not to be an issue, like, to be able to, you know, hopefully get married and have kids someday, to, you know, cultivate some of my other interests in life. I don't, you know, so I don't really know what making it entails, but I do think that I'm a little bit underrated at this point in my career. I think, not to be arrogant, but I think I know that, like, I'm good at what I do, uh -huh. and I do resent some of the bullshit that you have to go through, like, people who I know who are not more talented than I am, that know how to play the game, so they're doing better than I am. Is it that you don't know how to play the game, or you just refuse to? It's probably both. I mean, I'm even if I try to be cool, like, I can't do it. <laughs> I always end up acting weird. I just feel like you have to, like, kiss people's ass or something. I don't... And it's not that I'm not kissing their asses. I just sometimes don't quite know how to, like, get what I want. But I don't think that that's a good quality to have, to know how to manipulate people. I don't really know. 
So well, it's probably a fine line between manipulating and influencing. Mm. Anyway, I think that's the gist of it. So I've like you know slowly had success. Like I had a song, a cover of "Go Your Own Way" by Fleetwood Mac mm-hmm. that was in Safe Haven, mm-hmm. and through that, uh, a lot of people were turned on to our music. You know, in this downtime where I hadn't done anything new, I've actually got a lot more like. Uh, exposure through getting my music license so that's like a really great thing and is that all something the record label handles or are you on the ground involved in that because you're in a lot of TV shows fair number of movies that's like music supervisors knowing who you are and also like within the management area sometimes you're in publishing like publishing is different from a record deal so my publisher slash some music supervisor on their own for a show slash my manager you know within Within the company we were with for a while, like there was someone there who specifically their job was to pitch music to music supervisors. Oh, so okay. I've made the rounds a little bit. So like that stuff kind of just comes up. Okay. And then they email me and say, oh, you know, we did a cover Nothing Else Matters by Metallica and it was in Californication last week. Or um, I have a song Little Lovin' that was in Footloose or, you know, <laughs> like the remake. Not the original. Um, <laughs> were you even born when the original was I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, but stuff like that. So there, I feel like what I'm trying to do now is be a lot more involved. Because if you don't pay attention, like, suddenly you're like, oh, man, I should have been paying more attention to <laughs> what's oh, happening. So you're reading the contract and you're you're asking questions and... and uh, I mean, it's not so much contracts. It's just like, or, uh, I don't understand... A lot about mixing and mastering, or I didn't last album. This time I understand a lot more about mixing. Mastering, I don't know as much about. Okay. But it's like, sometimes it's in my nature because I don't, like even with an album, it's sort of frustrating because I just am like, okay, I'm over it. Like, I've been working on the songs forever. Like, just put them out. Like, I'm ready to put new ones, you know? Uh-huh. I don't, I'm not a perfectionist and I don't listen to my own music a lot. I just oh, don't would, worry. I like I like it. I, just, I like smoking it. all no, over you. No, I like it. I love secondhand smoke. I'm <laughs> oh, serious. Oh, good. Well, I'm and happy to enjoy the scent. Just get second secondhand high. Well, secondhand. Um, but I feel like uh, like I'd rather just sort of not overthink it and just create and release and create and release. And is and that what your recording process was like though? When you no. did this last album, do you have to like everything oh, has to be wait, over? Wait, no. Okay, stop. Let's see. Do that again. And then it's that one part of the bridge or whatever bridge you have to do it and do it and do it till you're sick of it well like no that it's not that it was more like or is you it know just the band plays the pr- live in the studio and then you're done well i mean i think there's somewhere in between because i don't think that really i want to just have everything be live i mean i think there's a time and a place for that when you're really making a record with a producer and you do overdubs and but i'm i'm not like one for like saying ahead of time what it's going to be like it's like let's just try it and see what happens let the songs that's the, the creative process kind of, yeah of course definitely but you know when it, a budget comes into place so say you're like oh, yeah. okay I've written all these songs maybe I could write a few more songs you know in an ideal world if, if you know budget and all that businessy stuff weren't a part of it I'd just be creating all the time but you sort of have to like have a plan before you kind of can really start so then it took like two years for me to make this second record. Like, I thought I was going to make it last year. And I won't like blame it. It's fine. Everything works out the way it works a out. A plan but before you can start. So, do you mean like you want your record to be probably thematic? saying too much? 
No, you just, like, what songs? Like, what's the sound? And, like, what are you going to do? And it's, like, I don't know what the sound is. I would like to just say, can I just go and sort of, like, make a song and then let you hear it? But it doesn't really work out that way. Oh. But do you have to do your scratch tracks and... Oh, it's like I... Oh, do I talk about there? it? Let's not even go let's there. Go to, let's go somewhere I mean, else. I have all these demos of all these songs, and then you have to either, like, go... You kind of are just recreating them. One thing I will say about this whole thing is that when you're... When you're singing something for the first time, you're working from... This is a guy I, wrote, I write with told me this, and I really thought it was interesting. When you're making something up for the first time, and you're singing it while you're making it up, you're using, like, your right brain. You're creating and singing at the same time. Mm -hmm. When you go and you re-sing something and mm -hmm. try to, like, approximate what happened uh -huh. during creation, you're using, like, your left brain. You're, yeah, okay. So you're basically, like, remembering something... And that's fine. I mean, a lot of times you and do... using that experience to work through the... Use your own tools to, like, rework or find it. I, well, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, like, in an ideal world someday, it would be nice to just be creating and recording at the same time because I think that's where a lot of the magic happens. And in some of these instances with the new record, you know, one of the songs, the first single, we're using the demo, like, the first time I ever sang it because it just... I could never sing it better than that, no. you know? And I still can't, like, live. I'll never be able to sing it the way I sang it because I was making it up when I was singing it. Mm -hmm. So there's something to be said for that. Lyric-wise or, or melody-wise? Just the vocal. The vocal take. You know, just the, all the subtleties and the inflection oh. and the power and the... You know? Gotcha. There's something, some you know, that's not true for every single song, but I just think for the future, I think it'd be really fun to be you know, writing and recording at the same time, which a lot of bands do, but I just haven't had the luxury yet because it's a big risk for someone to just be like, well, then here's, when you are writing? here's a bunch of money, go make a record and just turn it in. I mean, they can't, I, I get it. They can't just do that. It's like, well, what, you know, do you have good songs? Like, you know, what, what are we, what are we working with here? So I get why it is how it is, but <clears throat> someday it would be nice to say, yeah, I'm just going to go like, make a record, I'm going to write it and record it all in the same, same time and just be purely creative. Well, then what's your writing process like now? Are you turning on some sort of little thing and recording, catching like uh, mm -hmm. an idea for a chorus or an idea for a, a, a set of lyrics or a, some sort of rhyme scheme or a, an idea? Are you just putting things down on paper with a pen and pencil? If I have an idea, Coming. if I have an idea, I put in it in my iPhone. Oh, okay. The weird thing is, is my relationship with music has changed a lot, and I don't want to sound cynical or depressing, but I used to write all the time because it never mattered if my songs were good enough. Because, like, when I say good enough, I mean, you know, now I understand the crafting of a song. So I'll write songs by myself that aren't structured, that don't have a chorus, that probably don't even make total sense and I do that because that's for me that's You're capturing something that's happening with you that's a person. it's a release for me it's like if I'm sitting here and I've got something on my mind and then I want to pick up the guitar and I write some song you know I probably won't ever record that song or share it with anyone maybe I will but it's almost like that's for me just as why I started music as a way of getting stuff out uh -huh. like releasing the burden of my feelings but now I write more from a craft craftsmanship way where I really understand 
you know, when you listen to a song, it's like the chorus comes in and you're just like, yes. You know, that's what I've started to shift to where if I'm going to really write, I have like a handful of people I like writing with because they come to me with cool chord progressions. And then we craft a song together with a great hook, you know, uh-huh. everything's happening and giving you the payoff that you need. You know, you take it down and then you go for the chorus, you know, things like that. Sure. So you need a lot of those kinds of songs if, which I do, you want to get on the radio. And I, I need that and I do want that. And I enjoy pop music, so, you know. Who are you influenced by? Um, I don't really know that question people ask me. I think I try. I'm I, sure it's in every interview, right? Well, I kind of say I'm just, I'm influenced by the melodies in my head. And, like, my life experiences. Romance is a big influence. But, like, as far as picking out an artist, I think I've been really... Like, I don't even... I don't really listen to music anymore. I haven't really for the last few years. I don't listen to podcasts anymore. No, <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, you get burnt out. I did out. today. Yeah. I did today. I but I like listening to NPR because I don't really want to know what other people are doing because I don't want to subconsciously, like, rip you anyone off. I don't want to, like, get influenced. Who do you like in town, musically? I don't really go maybe see a lot. Maybe uh, the old I just being aware of who's here. Even well, if you Dan, don't go see I saw Dan Grimm. Okay. Uh, like brief, briefly, him. he was he's great. Jesse's a big fan, so he's always talking about him. Um, Todd, of course, is great. I really like Emmy a lot. Um, and then there's sort of like you know a combination of like my band playing with other bands that'll be at Deer Lodge. Like this guy Shane Alexander, who's not local but plays here a lot, is great. Um, my guitar player Eric has a band called The Whalians. Um, like, there's a guy who played the other night, Aaron Embry, he's really great. Um, Edward Sharp and the Midnight Zeros are around now, and yeah, they're I great. I haven't seen them. Well, but I see Lenny, their, their engineer. Yeah. And then I saw, oh God, what's his, uh, Alex? I yeah. saw Alex and Lenny at Coparellis one night. Yeah. You know, and they, well. I haven't actually seen them play, but they are around. And I know about their music, and they're awesome. I've well, Home, come on. Forget so it. good. You hear that song. Yeah. And, just, yeah. and Alex, the times I've met him, is so lovely. And those epic so bands, lovely. too, where there's 20 people yeah. in the band. That's so They've cool. got a really cool... They're, he's probably an example of someone that probably isn't at all people pleaser like I am, and probably is just like, fuck you, I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> you know? I doubt he says, fuck you, but, you know, can I curse on this podcast? Um, there will be a, definitely be an explicit, not bleep, safer word, yeah. uh, warning yeah. on iTunes. Very inappropriate. But, you know, I, I admire people like that who are like, no, this is how I'm going to do it. This is how I want to work. Because I'm, I think I'm learning now, but when I didn't know as much about how things worked, I think I was always just, like, afraid to say, like, well, this is actually really what I want to do, but maybe that's not the way it's done, or other people are thinking I should do it this way. So I have to weigh all the, like, I have a Libra rising that might, I'm always trying to, like, sort out, like, what I think from taking advice from, you know, but he's an example of someone balance, who's just, like, to find balance a badass. Libra. He's just, like, this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm doing is it. Is that your perception of him or your experience or your... I think it's the the small knowledge I have. That's just how I perceive it, that I think that's a really adm- admirable thing. And uh, I think Lenny, their engineer, has become a friend of mine, and he's super cool, so... As far as other bands around here, I know I'm probably forgetting someone, but I have trouble getting out unless it's for me, you know, unless I'm doing something. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you know. But you don't get, Look, like, check out this porch we're sitting at. 
I mean, would you ever want to leave? Oh. I just sit here all day. You would, if you had and come over night. instead of me coming to you, you would also understand why I go out very, very rarely. I mean, when you're in Upper Ohio? Upper Ohio. Yeah, yeah. which is gorgeous, yeah. so. It, yeah, it is. We're right behind the apricot orchard, and it's oh, just freaking beautiful. Does, when the blossoms come, does it just smell it's, amazing? Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got a bunch of orange trees that are in bloom right now. Yeah, so, I've got yeah. a just that and the wisteria like I walk out every day with a big smile on my face like oh but I think that's you know talking about oh hi I moved here four years ago what, what brought you to Ohio? I moved here well for one I'd heard about it because I sat next to someone on an airplane who I think tried to contact me on Facebook because I was on Ojai Quarterly and she read that I said this in the Ojai Quarterly and then it's like, hey. Yeah, but then I, I don't check my Facebook thing. And then I think my, I don't know. Anyway, I need to find out who this person was. But who said, oh, I love this place called Ojai. Oh, I've never heard of it. I said, I've never heard of it. Sounds really cool. She's like, yeah, it's like an hour and a half north of L.A. I'm like, I've never heard of it. And I was living in Hollywood. And I was pretty restless the last two years I was in Hollywood. I was there five years. And I was in this relationship with someone who is a great person. But, like, I had to learn the lessons the hard way. Like, if someone doesn't make you happy... Like, they just don't, don't, you're not a match. Like, stop trying to, like, have this, like, vodka. How do you figure this out? This, like, passionate, volatile, like, like, life-threatening in a way. I mean, I was, I got to the point, I was so deeply depressed. I mean, if you really want to hear the real story, which I don't tell people, I was so, I was the, worst, the most depressed I've ever been in my life. Like, I was, like, couldn't fold a shirt. Like, I was in my apartment. I'd been in Nashville making my record. Come back to L.A. Knew I didn't want to be there. Had broken up with this guy. Like You're he living was, in an apartment in Hollywood? You yeah. in Hollywood? He was seeing someone else. That sounds depressing. It was depressing. Was and he was seeing someone else. Without the personal issues. And we had all the same friends. And, oh. like, I felt like... I And I'd already been crazy. Like, I would, at the end of the night, get in a big fight. Like, I kicked his keyboard off the stand one time. Like, I was just acting like a crazy person. And I'm not really a crazy person, but, you know, I did spit in that teacher's face. So, obviously, <laughs> I'm kind of a crazy person. Some attitude, I've had some moments where I just explode, where I'm like, you know, I've had enough, and I will show you. So, I got in a fight. I got in a physical fight with this girl, which I had never done before. I'm just a crazy person. So, everything, my life was spiraling out of control. Like, I was waiting. My album was done. I was I had made it in Nashville, the first record. was waiting for things to start happening like sitting in this apartment and like ended up having this weird person with Craigslist painted it and he was like super cracked out and it was like half finished and he had like unhooked my stove because he was painting and didn't rehook it and so my apartment was a complete disaster zone I'm a very organized person like chaos makes me chaotic like I'm very clean and organized everything was just out of control and I got so so depressed that I was, like, scary depressed, like, like suicidal depressed, and um, went actually, like, went to, like, a mental hospital for you a couple yourself days. yourself in? Not exactly. Did you feel suicidal? I did. did I sort of, I kind of, I did. But not really. It was a cry for help sort of thing. Like, I, I really wasn't planning on well, going I mean, through yeah, with it. Well, I mean, yeah, did you let someone know what you were doing? I did. Did you write See, this a note? See, this is pretty deep stuff, but I guess I can just okay put it out there. Are you okay talking about it? I don't know. I guess it kind of feels like maybe I should talk about it. Because the thing, this is the thing. I, when I was, like, in high school and college and in L.A., I was, like, a cutter, you know? Oh, okay. And then one time I... I a couple girls up. Where did you cut yourself? On my wrist. Oh, okay. Just, like, 
like kind of like paper cut paper like well it was just enough so you could see the blood it was of, that it was like looking for some relief yeah i was looking for relief and it was like that for you know most of the time it was like that but then it started getting worse where i actually had like a nerve hanging out of my arm for like you a stopped? week Did you still no i well, I've, to no i've totally stopped because this is the thing that came out of all this like all that stuff had happened and like, I had to get my nerves snipped and get my like wrist stitched up and I mean the scar's not bad and after that I never did that again because I'm like I could you know my, I wasn't even thinking I could die I was like I wouldn't be able to play guitar anymore you yeah, know <laughs> yeah I was like, okay but I mean if I can't play guitar no but I was like you idiot like you like has it affected your ability to play guitar no it's fine my nerves feeling, are fine feeling in your hand everything's fine I'm totally I, I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine I'm totally fine no, my it didn't affect my ability, but I knew I never did that since. I was like, that was so stupid. I mean, my mom was so worried. She came out to like visit me, and you know, my mom loves me so now, much. You're not a druggie though. So no, you, it wasn't like you were. You got into the heroin set. Or never. Whatever. No, I you mean, drink. Drink. Were you drinking heavily? No, I think I was just sad. I think that I really wanted to belong somewhere, and I think I did belong somewhere. I also think I'm really sensitive to energy, and I think that like where I was in the Hollywood Hills is like very intense and I uh -huh. think that Los Angeles has a lot of desperation in it uh -huh. and there's a lot of darkness Yeah. and I think that I was like soaking some of that up and I think ultimately you know which is a life lesson to learn I like was really in love with someone who just didn't love me as much as I loved them and I couldn't handle that kind of rejection you know and when you're in your mid-twenties it's like that feels like the world is gonna end like if if I'm, like, you know, rejected by a guy now, it's funny. I can almost, like, laugh it off and call one of my girlfriends and be, like... It's even easier. I'll be, like, guess what weird thing I did. And we're, like, oh, my gosh, you know. I feel like that's the great thing about getting older is that when stuff happens, it's, like, oh, I've been here. I can get through this, yeah. you know. Yeah. At least up to this point. You know, I mean, I'm sure something else will happen. But you start to get used to knowing what life has in store, and you don't take it as to heart. So you started being a cutter in high school and <laughs> so, grade school? High school? I guess, like, in sort of in high school. I mean, it was sort of probably... Was trendy, you know, with other kids doing No, it? I don't think anyone really knew that I even did it. I think that I did it so rarely. It was more than in college, too. When college, I was really in love with someone who didn't love me. So it's usually about a guy. It's usually that heavy thing of, like, just being completely infatuated with someone who's, like, kind of with you, but always kind of not there. And, like, you know, like you date but then they're they don't want to date but then they keep coming back and like you think that they'll love you and it's like that whole thing I always would subject myself to that and so in Hollywood I had one of those relationships with someone again who's not a bad person but like it crushed me so after all this stuff of coming back to LA and not wanting to be there and feeling feeling just really bad about myself I um like just took all these Benadryl like like a hundred of them and but kind of really just wanted him to feel bad uh-huh you know like i wanted 100 benadryl kill you what? probably maybe probably well basically what ended up happening is that um did it work did he feel bad for you no he thought i was fucking crazy <laughs> it's like you so might have been at that he was so mad at me to put him in that position as he should be you know it wasn't fair to anyone you know, and it's ironic. You know, in the last three, in the last year, I know a few people who have killed themselves, and you just see how you feel for them. But it's such a selfish thing to do, and to put people who love you through. It's like nothing's that bad. 
And I think that's another thing I know now is like, even if I'm feeling bummed out, I mean, I haven't felt since that moment of intense depression and hopelessness. I've ne- I have never felt anything even remotely close to that. Because one of the things I've learned, and probably now that I've moved to Ojai, which is why I started the story, and I'll tell you that in a second, is that I realize that my thoughts aren't real. And my mind is not me. And that is something that I, without being more, just being as simple as that. Is that like a spiritual spiritual realization you've caught from like some sort of... I think it's just something I realized is that I started to notice when I'd start to tense up. Like, I'd stop right then and be like, what's the source of this? get inside of it. Just, like, the minute I'd feel like, I mean, I notice it, like, I'll look on, like, a gossip website, and I'll feel, like, some sort of irritation, Uh and I stop looking at them, because I notice, like, there's things that become unpleasant for me, or, you know, if I'm around someone that always just kind of makes me feel kind of bad, I just, I don't hate them or cut them out of my life, I just sort of try to keep boundaries I'm, you know, you I sort of learn, relate. yeah. I totally you just try to surround yourself around good stuff and you know you have to like you can be nice and outgoing and open but you still have like boundaries. You know, I know never to place like a guy above my own well being because it's all an illusion and you want you want someone more when they don't want you. I'm one of those people who like like I said, if someone doesn't like me, I you will like <laughs> prove to them. It's sick. But Are you still there? I mean, you're still within, within that? Yeah, no, I've been great ever since. Do you since. have projects? No, no, I mean with people. Oh. I mean, do you have, you have, you have your uh, not-likers out there that are your projects? No. convince? Well, no, I think... So that's becoming less important I think now I just really have my good friends and I don't have as many acquaintances. You know, I think I just sort of keep myself in a position where I'm around, you know, where I, where I can kind of keep myself safe almost if that makes sense, like, if someone now, I don't even get myself to the point to, like, let them not like me, or something. Oh, yeah, like, but you, even yeah, in town, you vibe with people, or you don't. It's yeah, just but like, even in town, like, I knew that, like, you know, a couple people, I could tell they were talking about me, because, you know, I play at Deer Lodge, and a bunch of people come, and I could tell these two guys were, like, sort of, probably doing the thing, oh, she thinks she's so great, you know, at this point, if I think they say that, I would probably... Are they other musicians? yeah. I'm probably direct enough that I will at some point be like, do you have a problem with me? Because I do have that sassy side where I'd be like, do you have a problem with me? Well, I'm sorry because I've done absolutely nothing but be friendly to you, so that's your problem, not my problem. Do you anticipate that that's coming? I doubt it. I don't think it matters enough. Everyone here is super lovely to me. I'm just, I mean, I'm really going all over the place. After telling you this intense story, I'll just tell you that after that whole Benadryl incident, uh, a friend of mine, like, I basically told him what had happened because I started feeling really weird. Mm-hmm. And so I got picked up by an ambulance and had to go to the hospital. And then I totally, like, hallucinated for, like, two days because of all the stuff that was in my system. And I had to, like, throw it up. And I was really, um, they, like, made me, they put gave me charcoal. And then they put me on a 72-hour hold in this, like, you know, and I Did didn't. Did you get the padded room? Kind of no, but I was in a room with a lot of really mentally ill people, and they thought I was because I was so affected by the Benadryl that I was in a room with some severely, you know, like a guy who took a shit on the floor, like, right next to me. And a girl who was very schizophrenic and, you know, had cut, like, her face and her, you know, it was really sad. And I was there with those people because I didn't also have, like, great insurance, so I sort of just went to, like, whatever the lowest of the low situation was. Um, and spent like a day there and that 
then after the stuff wore off, I mean, that, that changed my life. I was like, I had friends calling me, I had, you know, who had found me, who had tracked me down. I had a friend come bring me, like, cigarettes. And one of these girls was like, you know, who, who was the schizophrenic girl, but who would go between being lucid and being completely crazed and had to be restrained, you know, who was sleeping next to me in this room, said, you're so lucky that all these people, like, want to see you and care about you. And I realized, like, you know, I am really lucky. Like, and I, and then I basically had to stay there a little bit longer. They switched me to a different ward, and I met all these other people who were like me, who were normal people who had had a heartbreak, and they were so sad that they'd either threatened or tried, uh-huh. and then had been put on the 72-hour hold. And so I get out of there. I'm immediately picked up by friends, like, taken to the airport, sent back to my parents, uh-huh. spend two weeks with my parents, like, just coming back to, to life, and... Uh-huh get on Craigslist and look up Ojai because I'd heard it was a nice place and find this house. Oh, so you went straight for rentals. Yeah, found this house for this rent. This place. This place, uh, month to month, starting July 1st. This was like June, mid-June. Um, called the lady, said, I've never been there, but I want to move there, and I'm going to move July 1st, and she's like, the place is yours. So I go back to L.A. with my mom, pack all my stuff up. Um, we drive up here see the place and I'm like this is perfect Uh and I spent like the next like four months here basically by myself didn't know anyone like reading and hiking and playing golf and going to meditation mount and avoided LA avoided all the people that I felt quote-unquote rejected by and totally healed and in the process of that happening that was also when you know I got to open for La Montaigne that fall and all this cool stuff started having my EP came out my career totally started taking off. It was like, I mean, so that's the story. That's how I ended up here, and I haven't left since. And, you know, people here are really cool. I feel like what I was going to say about Ojai in the first place is that, like you say, living in Upper Ojai, I don't think this really is the place to come and be, like, always in on, in the mix. I think people come here because they want a bit of no, in, introspection. Of yeah, <laughs> You want to be introspective. You want to feel like it's okay to just stay at home. Uh-huh and do your own thing and not have all these demands on you like in LA it was like you know oh I've got this thing and there's this thing and there's this thing and you know when I moved up here I realized like I have like six friends I have like 200 acquaintances and I have like six friends Mm -hmm. and I'm gonna make time for my friends yeah and if I see acquaintances like I wish them well I don't have any ill will like it's fine like if I see them it's great and we have fun but I know who my friends are. I know who the people who were there for me when all that shit went down, who weren't like, oh, she's crazy. You know, I had a moment of madness, but what I know now through that is that I'm super grateful for my life. And, you know, I I realize when things get crazy that, like, this is an illusion. Like, your mind is making up problems. Like, even when stuff's wrong, nothing's wrong. Like, no matter what happens, like, you can handle it. Yeah. And, like, don't take yourself so seriously because I don't know what this is. I don't know if we're, like, a character in someone's, like, video game that they created. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're Sim. We're just a family yeah, in the Simville yeah. or whatever. Or if, you know, or if, you know, Jesus died for our sins you or, you know, into, I don't really know exactly what this is. Did you dig into any of the local spirituality at all? Did you? No. You didn't go over to uh, the, what's the, what's the place? The on, work. Uh, on Montgomery. Or, oh, yeah. Byron Katie. Yeah, Byron Katie the work. I, I did I watched it. some windows for them. Did you? Yeah. It's I, a cool I, I, building. I know people have done it. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like when it comes to stuff like that, I get uncomfortable. 
Like, I always feel weird. I did an out Outward Bound last summer. Uh-huh. You know, Outward Bound. Yeah, but it's like, a, like teenagers. So well, bad. apparently they have an adult program, but then I was like... So what, you camped? I was with a bunch of 18-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can pass for 18. But even still. with a bunch of, like, people who are younger than me, I just feel like in groups of things where, like... Did you smoke in Outward Bound? I just sneak and do it. I just sneak away to do it, and every, I felt like everyone on it hated me. Now, you know how you, like, you found Ohio is your home? Yeah. You like your home now? My home, my home will always be Rock Island. Okay. I mean, someday if I can afford it, I'll have homes in both places. But this is where, I, this is my home. You like it here? You're I like it here. I'm planning on staying, yeah. I would like to have, be able to, like, have, own something, or, you know. And I would also like to, like, someday have a family, so I guess... I can't say for sure. If Are you dating at all? You're totally single. No, I try to kind of. I don't really have very much luck with stuff like that. I always end up weirding people out. Like one thing that happens is guys will think I'm all cool and be like, like, like they'll be curious about me or they'll uh -huh. see me like performing and they see like this sort of aura that I have and like I'll just be being my normal self and then uh -huh. they are all like, want to hang out with me, want to hang out with me, and then I'll finally hang out with them. And then, and then I'll open up to them, and then I'll, they'll just get to know me as, like, just this regular gal, and then it's like they don't like me anymore. Oh. It happens. It's happened to me. So what, the, you're Lissy the rock star, and then all of a sudden you're I guess. Over. I don't know. I think I, I come off as being cooler than I am. <laughs> Miss Morris? Yeah, and then I'm just, like, the girl who's like, what should we eat for dinner? And, like, what are you doing? And, like, where are you? And do you want to come over? <laughs> like... I start planning things, and I lose my, like, yeah, whatever's cool, you know? I I just, I guess when people... Are I you listening, guys? <laughs> yeah. But that's not true. I mean, I've been in love with people. I had a I had a great relationship. Here? Um, no, when I was on tour with an English guy. So have you been guy. single for four years here in Ohio? No, I had a boyfriend from, like, 2000 and... 10 to 2011 for a year an English guy so I was mostly in Europe at the time and that was great but at the you know when it all came down to it it, it couldn't really sustain itself but I do but I do but he loved me for me and I you know my first boyfriend in high school it's probably I should probably be married to you know <laughs> but I'm not still talk to him? yeah no we're really good friends and he's married and has kids no he's single. I don't I don't think of him that way I'm just saying like I think maybe I probably have found love, but I always wanted to wait until I'd, like, accomplish everything I wanted to accomplish. How close are you to that? Well, you haven't sung at the Super Bowl yet. Mm. So you're going to... I don't know. I guess, you know, it's hard to say because I'm always probably... That's the thing. You always want a little bit more, but I guess... Hopefully we'll see what happens with this next record. I mean, I think this is really kind of a make-or-break thing. Like, uh -huh. depending on how this next album goes... And the opportunities that come from it, uh -huh. I think will really kind of either give me like a foothold in the industry and in my career where I have like, you know, consistently like the same fans who will stick with me and then I'll still be able to do this when I'm 60, show up and play acoustic and people will want to hear it, which I think is a good thing about a slow build because uh -huh. it's not just like disposable overnight sensation. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like you're building relationships with your fans over time. So... So are you saying you want to fade away instead of burn out? <laughs> I, wait, no, I think that there's... 
I think I don't know the difference. I think I just want to like gradually a steady career. I mean, you. I just want a steady career. You're working. You want to be yeah. a working musician, but you want to. I want to do a little better. I want to do better than I'm doing now. But I've also and what, okay. What and can you can you say what that is? What's better than now? Is it more album sales? Is it the amount of money in your? Bank I'd like account? to be able what to is, sell. Is it your venue? I at mean, least a million venues? records, if not more. How many records have you sold so far? I think in total, like around five hundred thousand. Oh, okay. Um, thank you. Worldwide, I and think, you've or got maybe four hundred thousand. Two, three videos. On I could be wrong. It could be like two hundred thousand. You got some two million, nearly two million views, maybe even over on. Yeah, I've got some lots of hits on my YouTubes. <laughs> on my YouTubes. <laughs> my YouTubes. I'd like to do like five thousand people venues everywhere I go. That's like the next stage. If I could play How five thousand people, people you played in front of. Currently? Probably like fifteen thousand people at okay. like a festival. But again, I could be exaggerating. I could, I could have sold two hundred thousand records. I actually don't know these Are things. Are you on the uh, the desert thing out here? Are you in Coachella? The, are you in Coachella? I did it last year. Oh, you did. Mm -hmm. Okay. How was that? Uh, it was be okay. Careful. They might be listening. Well, no, I mean. <laughs> Would you do it again if they invited yeah, you again? Yeah, we played it like one on like a Sunday or something. I mean, afternoon. In yeah, the afternoon. Oh, so, so I mean, it and was. You get what an hour set or something or like thirty minutes, I think. Oh, you have it time was for like five, six songs. It was effective. Job. I mean, you can see people who didn't come to see you being pulled in. I think that's how you know that even if you're not like the big buzzed about artist, that every time you go somewhere. Who are you sandwiched between? Do you remember who played before and after? No, I have no idea. Uh, okay. I could find out. I could Google it or something, but I don't really know. It was good. It was good to do. It was really hot. It was like a hundred and something degrees, and I like turned so red. I turned purple the sec like the second weekend. I mean, like literally, I get like if I run, I turn so red. I don't know why. I just am someone that my face turns red when I get exhausted, and it was really <laughs> hot. And I turned purple. Like everyone was like, "Are you okay?" <laughs> like I looked like such a freak. And when you run, are you running a long way? What are you doing, like shelf road or something? I mean, I used to run. I just started running this last week. I run like down to the trail to like Vons and back. I mean, I oh, think nice. it's like okay. three miles or something. Do you get the star recognition thing, or do you get any pop? You get any pops in town? No. <laughs> no. No. I mean, I no. think. I think some people around town know me because they've seen me or just I've been here long enough like that when you're out, you just recognize people. Sure. Oh, well, yeah. I've, you know. I mean, I've known about you for about a year probably. Mm. And uh, I think the first time I saw you, you were hanging out at the OBC. And I didn't, like, say anything. Okay. Or, you know, I didn't know who you were. No idea. Oh, that's Lissy. Oh, that's yeah. But I don't really get that. Like, in Norway, they're not, like, as celebrity obsessed, I don't think. So even though I feel like people know who I am, like maybe someone will be like, "Oh, it's Lizzie," but then they're like, "Hi," and then it's not like they're like, "Oh my god," Can I get you know. A with you? In the UK, a couple times I got, um, after before and after shows I do. What about your stalker? Do you have any stalkers? I don't. Not that I know of. Oh okay. I am sensitive. I don't really want people to know where I live, though. Well, I'm certainly not going to publish. Don't tell anyone. I will not publish <laughs> your address. Because there's even some like kind of weird dudes around town. <laughs> yeah. so. There's an interesting collection of folks up here. Mostly good, but... I won't even tell Jim Bailey where you live. I think he's been over, so... <laughs> no, Emma said your place is cool. Yeah. 
No, he's good. He, he passes. The Thank you, Jim Bailey, for test. getting me this interview. Yeah, no, it's good to talk. I mean, maybe I, I know I ramble and I probably almost share too much. I mean, I think that's sort of part of my problem with why I'm even not. Are you going to call me tomorrow and be like, hey, wait a second. Now we talked <laughs> about know. some things. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, maybe. Maybe it's a good thing to be honest about, though, because I think a lot more people than you'd realize have had thoughts like that, whether they've acted out on it or not. I've gone through some dark times. I mean, I, yeah. I had to, like, uh, cut myself to show my girlfriend at the time that, like, you think this is fucking cool? You do. You want someone and I always did stupid shit to know you were like, in pain. Drunk. Yeah. You know, I was always really drunk before I did something really stupid. Yeah. Well, I think that was another thing that just I was saying last weekend. Like, I'm not, I don't think I'm an alcoholic, but I do drink, and I can handle my liquor, and I'm, I'm a fun drunk. Like, I'm generally fine. I'm not too hungover. I don't get sick and don't black out but um I look back in like my 20s and this weekend I went out to Deer Lodge and I didn't drink it was like the first night I've been out and been social and not had a drink because mm -hmm. it's just what you do I mean it's like a social thing everybody yeah. has a drink yeah. you know who goes yeah. to a bar and doesn't drink so I, I did certainly haven't been going to bars <laughs> yeah right? well you're just up and up for Ohio living life but <laughs> I I didn't have a drink and I started to think as I was standing there having this really great time and I was all these people that I see that I've ta only talked to probably when I'm wasted, that I was actually talking to and even had them be like, you seem different. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sober. <laughs> like, this is what I really like. You know, engaged and listening and, you know, talking a lot too. Do you have problems falling asleep or anything when you don't drink? Well, you know, I did notice like the first few days of not, not drinking because it's been only been a week, but like I get, I, I did have trouble falling asleep. Yeah. Yeah, because usually I just drink my wine and then when I get sleepy, I go to bed. Mm -hmm. You know, that might not be a whole bottle, but it's sort of like I just drink wine until I'm tired. From You're like, a Casablanca fan, aren't you? Yeah, I'm on their wine club. I have to go pick up a shipment. <laughs> I'm like, can you hold it for me until mid-April? But in going out, I realized like all the times that I've made some bad decisions were when I was drunk. Like all the times I got in the big fights with the boyfriend or when I, I made a problem out of nothing, everything could be fine, and then all of a sudden I'm feeling angry and I don't know why but because I'm drunk I'm picking a fight and I'm creating drama you know and so I think like of all you know all the times in my life that alcohol probably kind of robbed me of a good experience and I think going into my 30s is I, I don't think I'm, I'm an alcoholic in the sense that I can't ever drink but I think I have to really figure out what my relationship is to it to uh -huh. where it's something that I can do but if I find that I'm doing it all the time and it's hard for me to go a day without drinking, that I might need to just not drink. So you're currently a week into a month off of, of alcohol. Is yeah. Correct? Yeah, and it didn't start as that. I'm actually doing this thing called the Clean Program right now, What's which that? is a like a three week cleanse thing. Oh, okay. And Who puts uh, that out? it's called Clean Program. Oh, okay. Something a friend did. It's like you order it. It's a kit, but it's like dairy. I have, I'm allergic to cheese, and I know it, but I love it. And it makes my stomach really upset. What about goat cheese? Is it lactose? Is it a lactose thing? Well, if, if we really want a casein, or is it called casein? I don't know if I'm saying it right or not. If we really want to go into this boring story, I got this blood <laughs> test from a nutritionist about, like, it's not just allergies, but, like, inflammatory foods. Oh, okay. And, like, makes your intestines get, so my stomach's, like, always, like, pushed out. Even though my sister will be like, I know you're not that fat. Like, you look like you're pregnant. And it's like, I would eat some pizza, and then immediately I'm just, like, look like I'm six months pregnant so or it's something. your gut flora yeah my gut flora so I'm just uh you know 
I like in theory, this one test I had, it's like I'm not supposed to have chicken or eggs or dairy. I can have wheat. I'm not supposed to have peanuts or almonds or bananas. Like, there's all these things I wasn't supposed to have. So, actually, now this clean program, it's interesting because, like, nightshades, like tomatoes and peppers and eggplants, like, you can't have those. You can't have dairy. Like, you know, you cut out peanuts. You cut out all these things, and for three weeks, you're just eating, like, you know, you do these shakes, but then you're having, like, fish or brown rice, vegetables, you know, salads, lots of avocado, you know, just like eating so really it, healthy. But also kind of, then it'll span, expand your, your menu and your, 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 uh, the, the things you like to cook. I mean, you like to cook, right? So yeah, you, you, I like to cook, but I think sometimes, you know, it's like, oh, am I going to make like cheesy something? Now it's like, you know, I like going to Sea Fresh on Sundays. I think it's like 20% off their fresh fish. So you go get just a trout, like one piece, one serving, just cook that in some olive oil with garlic and salt and pepper and have it with some brown rice and, like, some kale that I get in the market on Sunday. And, oh, yeah, you know. so you cruise through the market once. Yeah, yeah, and it's good, you know, and here it's so easy to eat great food here. I mean, you have an avocado. Best in the world. You yeah. eat an avocado, you're like, whoa, that tasted really good. Yeah, Whereas if you're traveling, you get an avocado, you're like, this doesn't taste like anything. So, but so I'm doing this thing, and then slowly you incorporate foods back into your diet. And see, I'm only like four days into it. Oh, okay. But I mean, I know I'll do it. Sure. Now that I'm doing it, you got your willpower. Well, yeah, same with me. I mean, yep. once I made the decision I wasn't going to smoke, I didn't smoke. My cigarettes ran out. It was my day after my birthday, and so I just stopped buying cigarettes. And it sucks for a while, but they yeah. just don't anymore. That's good. And same with alcohol too. It's like, oh, now would be a great time for a beer, but the time came, and I yeah. drank beer, and I really changed my relationship with, with alcohol. I think that's really good. I think it's the one thing about life. It's like you're always having to sort of pay attention, and it's hard. You get on a roll, you get into habits, you're busy, and you're not really stop. It's like a pain in the ass at first to have to stop and pay attention to how things are making you feel. Sure. And and or if how you feel, why? Okay, why do I feel like that? You know, just really trying to be in tune with stuff is yeah. a pain in the ass, especially if you're, like, in a hurry. You're, you know, you just want something quick or, you know, every, well, everyone's drinking, so I'll just quit drinking, like, next week because I don't have anything going on next week. But, oh, then there's a birthday party. There's always a reason why yeah. you, yeah, there's always a way to make an excuse yeah. to do the thing that you wish you could stop. And I've always been like, oh, I can't, you know, I smoking will be the last final burden, you know, because I think, well, someday I'll get pregnant and then I'll just quit. But, like... But cigarettes are awesome. I love, I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm chain-smoking today, to be honest. I've already had, like, my quota. But I think, um, like, I'm not... I haven't always had discipline. And this last week, I think I just... I had to give myself a pep talk. Like, my sister, I don't know if she wants to say this, but she does this thing that she said when she was, like, trying to have discipline that, like, Beyonce has an alter ego called Sasha Fierce. And Sasha Fierce is just fierce. Like, she's strong. Okay. She can do whatever. And so my sister's like, you know, on days when I didn't want to get up and go and whatever, you know, run or get, get like, started on being, like, healthy, she's like, I just picture this version of myself that was just fierce, you know? And so, like, I tried this last week where it's like, oh, I don't feel like running or I don't care. Or, like, I'll just have a drink or, like, I really want pizza. Like, I'll eat better tomorrow. That there's this this person now that's just, like, you are strong. You can do this. Like, you're fierce. Like, you are so strong. 
and you're so awesome, and you're so fierce, and you can do anything. Like, you are not weak. Is that a new entity coming up inside of you? I think it just, it is. I think I have this thing, and I think it's because spring. I think because spring kicked in. I think I have this thing where I feel like I'm not weak. I will not be weak. Like, there's no harm in being weak, but at this stage of my life, I'm just, I'm not, I can do whatever I say I'm going to do, and I will do it. I'm tired of being weak and making excuses. Like, now is my time. I mean, for someone who's already accomplished as much as you have in your life, played in front of a crowd of 15,000 people, uh, sold a half a million records already. You're halfway to your No, goal. I haven't really. I don't. I think I've sold like 200,000. I said 500,000. I can't remember. I think it's more like 250,000. Oh. I'm a quarter of the way there. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I'm probably just making sold... all this up. <laughs> I've sold five no, records. Yeah, I've, sold, I've, <laughs> I've maybe sold a thousand t-shirts. Yeah. Uh, so, but you, it's funny. You still can convince yourself inside that you're like weak or something. No, not with yeah. that, but in the last you know I mean. the last year in the downtime, I don't have that rush from performing that I got when I was like really busy. And that is like really something that gives me worth. Like when I get up and I'm performing and I sing and I see how it's affecting people, that's a rush. That's what makes me feel like I'm contributing something. I have like value. I know I have value even without that. But I feel like what what you know, I feel like I want to feel like I'm doing something, like I'm I'm contributing or I'm like adding value to the people in my life. And sometimes I feel very detached from people in my life because I'm here and they're all spread around the world. And, you know, I guess I just want to feel like there's quality and meaning and depth to like everything I'm doing. And with a year of downtime and of like doubting myself over various decisions I need to make, I'm always having to make all these decisions about whether it's like a song or mixes or, you know, whether I lose my voice when I'm on tour and if I'm going to take the steroids or if I'm just going to cancel or, you know, all these different things. And, and that thing in me sometimes, the fear, everyone has the fear from time to time. And so I think, like, this last year it's been really hard for me to motivate to be like, okay, like, you're going to, like, set your mind to, you're, you're at an age at 30 where like you can't just get away with your 20s and eat whatever you want and not get fat and like you can't just get up and run run seven miles anymore you have to like do stuff like you can't get away with this now like you're get you're getting older you have to like say now is the time to like create good habits and like set limitations in a way or at least like have the willpower to try something new because if you feel really good after you've done it for a while, that will become your new habit. You know, anyway, so I'm just trying to like get to a point where it's like, I know you don't want to like quit smoking, but you know, science says <laughs> like that if you do this for the rest of your life, you will most likely... You have 10 years. You gotta quit it. You okay, I'll have 10 years. <laughs> you have to quit it. I think that I'm, I'll probably quit in the next couple of years, but I had said at one point I'd quit by the time I was 30, so, but what? I just really don't want to. Well, yeah. And everyone's like, it's bad for your voice, and I'm like, I don't think it's bad for my voice. I think what's bad for my voice is overusing it, and I think I'm out of practice. What's bad for your voice is underusing it. Really? <laughs> <laughs> That's also another thing, though, when you're out of practice, my voice will be healthy, but then I'll sing for an hour, and then it's gone. It's gone. It's yeah. gone, right? 
because I don't have the stamina. Are you taking vocal lessons and stuff too? Just work on your embouchure. And... Uh, my embouchure. Uh, I have <laughs> I have a vocal coach that I see very rarely, but she gives me like kind of a set of things that I can do to, uh, you know, check check how healthy my voice is and like sort of know what my limitations are, and then also just warm up and you get are you going through that the warm ups before you go on stage and stuff yeah little, yeah and I it's like hung oh okay hung oh so you're driving your voice yeah driving your I'm voice I'm trying like, to open up the back of my throat so that I can sing kind of through my third eye as opposed to like squeezing it out of my throat yeah, yeah. so it's sort of you, oh you're a singer I didn't I know I choir all through grade school and high school and a lot of church solos really are you still singing at all? No. no. Around the house? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. I'll, I'll hit the karaoke machine once oh, in nice. five years. Oh, nice. The hub has karaoke. We should go to the hub sometime. Oh, yeah. <laughs> karaoke. With, with Lauren, our, our lum, lum. Is it Laura, Laura, Lauren Lum? The purple hair? The girl, I don't know. The... I haven't been there in so long. I don't even know. Neither have I. Yeah. <laughs> I actually kind of... Did you do it? Ever do it Never at the hub. What's your favorite venue in town to play? Probably the Deer Lodge. Byron's um, like mom. No, the only thing I wanted to ask you is like, what do you think would improve like, or what would be missing from a local venue that you'd like to see? Um. Or is that, I don't know if that's even a valid question. Well, I don't know. I guess the thing with Ojai is that it's like, you know, I, I noticed when I moved here, like people can be like slightly protective of it mm-hmm. because it is like such a sort of special place like it's not like you want just droves of people coming in and changing it Mm -hmm. um there's not like they don't think like a ton of jobs for people so i do notice that like between the ages of like 20 and 40 Mm -hmm. it's not like there's a really big scene of people in that age range who like are don't have kids or aren't married who are like hanging out yeah so i think like in a way sometimes it you do try to like seek out to go do something fun if one night you're feeling like being social or you want to like go dance and then maybe you go out and there's like 10 people out and like what you're seeing is really good but you know it's just not a place necessarily where there is like a scene and so I'm on the fence because you know yeah it would be nice if there sort of was but I also kind of don't want there to be a scene not that it's my decision to make and they're starting already. Seems like they're doing this jamboree and they're doing this hootenanny at Deer Lodge. And are you getting involved with that at all? Or are you just, yeah, a little bit. Just I, not so much to perform or just, just to going to hang out. I haven't been to the jamboree yet, but I heard it's cool. Um, I haven't either. I heard it's really cool. And the hootenanny on Saturday was awesome. And this thing I'm going to do with my friends next week, but it's like I don't know. It's almost like I heart. I, I goes back to like that thing I did Beachwood Rockers at Cranes. It was like. You know, something can be really special for a little while, and, like, you get a scene, and it's cool, but then it's, like, suddenly all these people start showing up that just heard it was cool, and they don't really care, and they're not necessarily very nice. They just want to be cool, and then it's ruined. So, (laughs) that's just, like, places that are special. I can see that happening down in Hollywood, but I don't know if people have the fortitude to make it up here and do that I to don't this know. place and I think Ohio is pretty effective at like either accepting you or drumming you Spitting out if you, out. you don't fit yeah well so and I have a friend that grew up here and she was like you know people come up here all the time who are like oh I'm gonna like make this into something cool 
And then it's like they get bored because there's like, you know, you have to be able to spend time by yourself. And not a, a lot of people can't do that. You don't I, mind it so much? It's okay? No, I, I love being by myself. I, that was probably the reason why I couldn't be in a relationship anymore. I was like, I just need to be by myself. Like, <laughs> I just want to do whatever I want to do when I want to do it. Uh-huh. And uh, that's something I think I'll have to do. You hear that, on. guys? She needs her independence. <laughs> yeah. This is like an online dating profile for me. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Um, but uh, what was it like working with an elephant in that video? Because oh. that's a really cool video. And then at the same time, it's like there's this freaking 10,000 pound creature with giant ivory tusks coming up behind you. Yeah. And you're just like, yeah, I'm just singing. I'm just walking through this field. <laughs> I didn't even know it. Oh my goodness, yeah. there's an elephant. So what was that? What's that? Who put that together? And like, wow, that was neat. I like that. Yeah, it was really a very cool experience. And it this is an example of something being a little wonky is that that song everywhere I go which the videos for has a beautiful version of it which is the original version which is on my album but radio like needed a version with drums so we like redid a version of it that was fine but wasn't I was like what's wrong with the original just is what it is like why do we have to like jazz it up so we shot the video to like the radio version of the song, which the radio station never ended up playing, even though we changed it for them. And I was like against it from the beginning, but anyway, so that song never ended up even happening. So it's like we had this beautiful video set to the wrong version of this beautiful song. But that aside, um, it was crazy because I showed up. We we're in nor- like in Germany, like up north in Germany, and this guy had rescued like all these elephants oh, okay. in like so the eighties. Okay. Yeah, this German guy had rescued like 12 elephants or something in the 80s. So this elephant, Marla, at the time was, I think she was 26 and I was 27. And uh, she, we get there and there's like a semi and it's just, you just, it's rocking. Like she's like stomping her feet and she's rocking and the whole semi is rocking with her. And then she just comes walking out. They put a platform and she just comes like walking out and down this platform and you're in Germany, and there's people, like, riding their bikes by on the trail who are, like, doing, like, a double take. Like, shit, that's an elephant. Like, what's going on? And, uh, and like, the first hour or two, it was like, yeah, they were like, okay, just walk, and, like, she'll follow you. But she kept stopping to eat. So they'd give me treats, like sugar cubes, to sort of hold behind me um, uh-huh. to get her to follow me. And in the first hour or two, I was very tense because I would feel her, like, coming up behind me. I mean, her tusk would, like, graze my side of my head. So the first hour or two, I was very unnatural and very stiff and very, like, you know, tense because I was really intimidated, obviously, being by this. I'd never been around an elephant. Yeah, I would be freaked but, out, I think. And I think was it, it was only, yeah, was it one day or two days? I can't remember now. But it was... Quickly after that, like, I started feeding her treats, and I had my, like, arm around her tusk, and she was really well-trained, and... She was sweet, though. She was really sweet, and really just wanted to eat, so I had this backpack on, and they filled it with these treats for her, and that was some of the video, that's why she was so close to me. I mean, I was literally standing between her tusks, because she had her trunk in my backpack eating, (laughs) and I was sort of between her tusks, and she was right there with me, you know... And, and within, you know, course of a couple hours, it felt, I felt really brave. And I mean, a lot of the people on the crew were like, really like, oh my God, she's going to yeah. like impale your head with her tusk. And they didn't seem very sharp, but obviously she's a very big creature. Um, 
But then I like, then they had me like ride, I rode on her back and you know that was crazy. But like I really started getting into it. Like after a couple hours, I I was like, oh like, she's like this person. She has so much personality and she was so gentle. And it was really sad because actually she was rescued because like these poachers sent out faxes in the 80s to like people who are licensed to own elephants saying like we're going to kill these elephants or you can, or you can buy money. them. Yeah. yeah. And oh, okay. I mean, even still like, you know, poachers for the ivory or there's places where elephants are just a nuisance because they, I mean, she was eating the leaves off all the trees. So if you have all these elephants in parts of Asia... They're just like, God, elephants are eating, like, everything. Like, you know, it's like their version of, like, a coyote or a deer or something, you know? They're just, like, pests. So they will kill them. And I just, it breaks my heart to think that anyone would ever be cruel to an elephant because it was, like, just a gentle giant. Have you uh, done the, for your your song that you're going to release in April, have you done the video for that already? <clears throat> no, I'm shooting it next week. Oh, okay. Uh, in close by, or can probably you talk down at all? in LA. Oh, okay. Oh, there was, now is it for when I'm alone? Mm-hmm. The, your video, your official. What's the one where it looks like you're in the foothills here, but maybe you're in the foothills somewhere? It looks like California foothills. Uh, right? probably when I'm alone. We're like Nothing outside and they're driving a car. Yeah. Yeah, that's when I'm alone. We shot that. Um, I think near Santa Clarita. Okay. I remember because I drove back and forth and I was like really tired and I fell asleep behind the wheel. I didn't. I didn't even, I thought I was going to. <laughs> it was like four in the morning. You're stressing me out. I insisted. I insisted on coming home because we were on tour, and I'm like, I'm going to stay the night in my own bed, and we were only home for a week, and so I'm like driving back and forth to Santa Clarita. But um, yeah, that one was I think near near there. Um, and that one I really enjoyed making. I think that's a cool video. I and, like it. And is the video all blocked out for your release? Your yeah, the video's all, the concept's all figured out. The funny story about this video I'm shooting next week is that uh, um, there's a guy I went to high school with in Rock Island who's two years older than me, who who I know, but I didn't know well. Um, and he's a video director and has been doing all this stuff. And a friend of mine uh, that I used to work with at Sony, an English guy, was on a shoot and was talking to this guy, Ben, and was like, you know, oh, where are you from? He said, I'm from a town called Rock Island, Illinois. And he's like, do you know Lissy Morris? And he's like, oh, yeah, we went to high school together. Well, turns out, like, he's this really successful video director now from Rock Island. And uh, when I went to have a meeting with Sony in London, I was like, I really want to work with this guy, Ben, and he's from Focus Creeps. And they're like, oh, Focus Creeps, oh, my gosh. Like, we would love for you to work with them. And I'm like, well, weirdly enough, I went to high school with this guy, Ben. So it was just kind of a cool... So that, that's going to happen. Turn of events. Yeah, next week they they came up with the treatment for the video. and I'm Can hoping... you talk about that? Can you? Well, the song is called Shameless. And it is basically like I don't want to be famous if I have to be shameless. If you don't know what my name is, so what? It's kind of sassy. It's like kind of the things I was talking about, like... You know, I don't want to, like, stoop to some clever slash desperate level for my, like, 15 minutes of fame. And in this culture of just, you know, it's almost like you just pluck some person out and make them into a celebrity, whether it's pop stars or reality TV stars. Like, you know, it's just me basically saying, like, my frustration with it. Like, I even acknowledge in the song, like, you know, I don't know why it bothers me. Maybe it's just my insecurity, like... Cause I'm not more famous, you know, <laughs> like, so it's sort of like, why do I resent this culture in which 
you know, I'm a musician, but, you know, if I want to do really well, I have to sort of find a niche within this culture that's, like, obsessed with celebrity and 15 minutes of fame and all the, like, you know, terrible behavior that is rewarded, you know, if you make, you know, no, no press is bad press kind of thing. It's like, oh, you can, like, beat your girlfriend and still win Grammys, you know, and it and almost... And get your girlfriend back. And, get your, and it'll almost make you more popular because everyone's talking about you and everyone wants to know about you. And it makes yeah. you more famous and more successful because you've done something that's really vile. Or, you know, reality celebrities who, you know, from what I know of them, because I don't, everyone's, I don't watch that, but I you know, really don't because I don't have cable or TV. I just watch stuff on the internet. And it's like... You know, oh, like, I'm, like, the bitch you slept with your husband. Like, let's give you your own, like, daiquiri line. <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> it's have just weird. Have you gotten any sort of, like, uh, product licensing sort of offers or anything like that? Or have you promoted anything? I did anything? something with American Eagle a couple years ago. And I did something with Twining's Tea in the UK. And I'm doing something now with a friend's, like, mezcal tequila brand that hasn't really happened yet i'm looking into it you like, like tequila is that your favorite liquor yeah why but, uh i don't know it's just good i can handle it and it's it's a happy drink and then i got really into like 100 percent agave and i started getting into like you know it's great in ohio it's such a small town but that tequila bar has so much good tequila i mean they have like 60 dollar shots where you don't shoot it you, you in, sip it have you indulged i did once i i did because ruben over there I'll go in. Nice and guy. He's he's great. I love him. So I'll go in, and he doesn't give me it for free. But I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just gonna drink the sixty dollars one, and you sip it. And um, but then I you're getting a nose for it too. Then you where you can taste some subtle differences, or uh, I can tell if it's crappy or not. Basically, you know. But something like a sixty dollar thing of tequila. I mean, it's almost like sipping whiskey. I mean, it's different uh, taste. Like, yeah, the, the oh, it's a different taste, obviously, yeah. but it's almost like, you know. Do you like whiskey? I kind of like whiskey, but it's a little more unpredictable for me. Like, Jameson could go many a way. <laughs> if I drink Jameson, I could be, like, dancing on the table. Whereas tequila, like, I just, I stay, like, I'm, I'm happy and I'm fun, but I'm, like, in control. And I feel very, like, you know. And functional. Then your, your Casa Barranca, what is it, the Craftsman? Which one, what's your I've, favorite model? Well, you know, I used to be Pinot Noir, and then I started to get a little bored with that, and I started wanting something a little, like, I don't know how to explain it other than, like, fumey. Like, I started getting into the Grenache. Oh, okay. Because it's just got, it's got bite or something. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not a wine connoisseur, but I started feeling like the Pinot was almost too smooth. I wanted something a little more, like, that really I could... It really gave me a little kick when I drank it. Uh -huh. So, kind of Syrah, like the Syrah Grenache mix, I think. Or do they have, I think they might have a Syrah Grenache mix. And then Grenache. And then I'd never had Zinfandel before. I didn't even know there was a red Zinfandel. Mm -hmm. And I like Zinfandel now. Do you? Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm more of a beer person. Really? I, I'm not that into beer. I feel like beer makes me depressed if I drink enough of it to make me drunk. Interesting. It's hard to drink enough beer to get drunk, though. <laughs> well, you and it really makes you fat. Beer. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you get really strong. I haven't been beer. drinking though. Beer makes my mouth like, like I feel like it makes my mouth feel really gross and like hop, like yeasty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but no tequila and the tequila tip. 
I was real into tequila, and then I went to Oaxaca, like all around Oaxaca, to where they make mezcal, and was there for like 10 days with my friend who has this company called Metal, and we actually shot the whole thing, and we have this little video we made. Oh, cool. Meeting this family, like all this mezcal that I have, I got from, I'll give you a bottle of it actually if you're drinking again. Okay. I got from- um, Thank you. This this family we met them we were there and saw them making making this mezcal Neat. and it's such a like simple and like clean process. Now clarify for me what's the I mean is mezcal the same as tequila or is it different? It's different. I mean it's mezcal same, you oh, got to be kind of careful like regional, with it. It's like French wine. No, it's not. But you're you're no, it's not. <laughs> Sorry. It's not the same plant. Okay, it's agave. It's same plant. Tequila usually comes from blue agave and it's steamed. Whereas mezcal comes from like, can come from a lot of different kinds of like almost like rare agaves. The most typical one's espadine, which isn't rare, but they roast it and so it's smoky. Uh-huh. And they also like the it's usually double distillation, sometimes triple. Uh-huh. But like, uh, it's it's stronger in ways like you need to really sip it. You shouldn't shoot it. Okay. Um, because if you shoot it, you could hallucinate. Afraid of that. Uh, oh, well, you'll just get. Uh, but I'm, but I, you know what I am afraid of? Yeah. This, what are you afraid of? I have a three thousand dollar tooth. Really? <laughs> when did you get that? My tooth fake. I got it two years ago. How did you get it, it out? Uh, let's see. I went to a uh, beer tasting festival at the Ohio Beverage Company, and uh, boy, I tasted every beer, <laughs> and then the beer started buying more beer. Oh shit! I just got faded, and when I got home, I fell down. I woke up the next on day. On your face. I went, went, like, into the driveway. Like, pa- and then got back up or passed out? I, well, I don't remember. Shit. I don't remember hitting the ground. I mean, I was so out of it. And then the next, I mean, then at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning, I started to wake up, and I'm like, what's going on? It's my face. And, like, my whole face was just, my nose was all fucked up, and my <gasps> lip was split wide open. You can see the scar on my lip still. Jeez. So, yeah, I had to... Go to the dentist. Did you knock and it like in half or totally? It was broken, but it hadn't come out. And so it, I couldn't close my mouth. I couldn't chew. It was just, it was, I mean. So is it, I've did done, they do the root canal and it's totally fake? Or they were able to like reattach it's, it's it? A, no, it's, it's, a, it's a post. Uh, it's a titanium beam inside my jaw. I have. Yeah. Really, when I was in second a, grade, I knocked this out. Yeah. Except mine's still metal on the back. <laughs> I've had this since I was like eight. I'm amazing. Not, I have to get a new one. Sometime. The match is good. Thank you. It's amazing. Well, we got, we're in the fake front tooth claim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yours, Same one, I wouldn't nine. have guessed that yours was fake. It's fake. The only thing is when I do, when I drink wine, this, you can really, this like turns a weird oh, color. Oh, you get the more purple Do on you there? have the purple up there? I don't know, do I? Wait, like go front. <laughs> go front. I go like that. Uh, I think you have a little bit. I think oh, mine's oh, worse, oh, like so. the gum kind of. Yeah, is like black. right there. Like the gum line doesn't quite like like the. Yeah, uh, it's good. My lip hangs over. But it. is yours an implant? Is it a? It's like root canal, little titanium stud. Grew, thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this was like. How did you? Twenty two years ago, I was in like gym class, and. I mean, I think I was like playing basketball in gym class, and I went to jump, and I, my friend pushed me when I was in the air, and I just sort of. <sighs> but she yeah. says that's not what happened, so. I was playing basketball and doing Oh, class. she's trying to say, I didn't touch Yeah. It. it wasn't me. But I fell and it like fell into my hand. But Oh, it all came out. 
I I feel like maybe it just cra- I don't I think it just half of it. I don't know, but they had to do the whole thing. They couldn't they couldn't like just do ha- a half. Did you have a partial for a long time or something? A little no. I had a, a weird. Flipper? I actually even had that weird little metal tooth. I think for like a day or two. Oh okay. I just think I had no tooth. I think they took it out. Oh, I was months without a tooth. Were you just no tooth gap? Yeah. Really. Yeah. Well, do you I have did a good? Do you your dentist here? I do have a dentist in Oki now. Actually, I hadn't been like really. I hadn't had health insurance or anything oh. for years, so I did like just scrape it together and get it, make it happen. Dental work is expensive. It was thirty five hundred dollars roughly yeah, to pay for it. Anyway, that's that. We <laughs> I'm talked sorry about that. that happened. No, the worst things that have ever happened to me happened to me on alcohol for sure. I mean, yeah, for sure. I did the stupidest. Stupidest things. I ran around. into a pole. Oh, you can't see on my knee. Well, that's. Our, I ran into no. a pole when I was drunk, like just like a month ago. I was like running down the street in like one of those wires that's in front of like a utility post. It's like head on. I couldn't from the side. You would see the wire, but it was dark, and I was running really fast, and my arm hit it. I mean, I, I'll show you a picture. I had the most gnarly bruise ever. Oh, it's here in town. Here in town, just around the corner from Azu, and. My arm hit it, but it was like I was going so fast and it was so sudden that I just landed on my knee. And so that's, I've been running and now I had to stop for a day. Like today I had to stop because yesterday I was like, something's going on with my knee. But I have a chiropractor coming on Thursday, so I'm going to have him check it out. Like it is like, you can feel it. It's all, I did something. I think I like hurt the bone. Anyway, so yeah, it's bad news. Be careful. Well, you gotta just stop. At some are we point. pretty good? We I happy? think we're good. Okay, this has been Lizzie. Thank you. It's been I wonderful hope this talking good. to you. Likewise, thanks. I really ramble a lot. So there's my conversation with Lizzie. Hope you enjoyed that. I have got to get to work now. Seriously, I've got to get to work. Windowwashing.com. Check it out. Chris T. Wilson.com. Click on the squeegee lution fist. That's what keeps this podcast free and really, really long. Okay, peace out. It was nice uh, being inside your ears for the last few hours. And uh, hopefully, hopefully you'll see someone either in the archives or coming up in the future that uh, appeals to you. And you check out another episode of the Don't Look At Me podcast. It's always a pleasure being in Ojai. But it's probably kind of too hot for you. You might not like it here. But, uh, yeah, you might. I do. I like it. Bye.